Welcome to liveanimated.com. Let's learn something new. Tonight, I have my very first guest, Stefan Frost. What's up, man? Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. No problem. Uh, how are things going? They're good, man. I'm really excited for this for you right now. This is awesome. I'm uh, looking forward to this conversation, and I'm excited that you are doing something like this because I think it's great to actually learn about a field that I think a lot of people are very interested in. So I'm excited to talk. Well, awesome. Thank you very much. So this very first interview session that we have is going to focus on what it takes to work in the games industry from Stefan Frost's perspective, which is... I want to get, make sure I get your title correct. Your title is <laughs> Creative Game Director. Yeah. So we're going to talk about what a creative game director does, you know, some of the things that he's experienced uh, getting to that point in the industry and with his career, uh, what could be possible pitfalls, what are things people can look out for. The whole goal of this is to inspire and help others that are looking to get into the games industry and may have a passion for going into what uh, Frost, is what I call him, what his uh, his discipline is uh, within the field. So we're gonna just go right into it. Let's just talk a little bit about um, what you do now, and then we'll go, we'll dive back into like how you got into it. But what, what do you do now? So my job is uh, to kind of make sure that the project that we're working on is heading down uh, a solid course and that we are uh, aligned. I think alignment is probably the biggest thing that I, I do on a regular basis. When I first got this gig, I my thought was always, okay, how do I make the best gameplay experience? And I need to think about all these ways that we can have this really good gameplay experience. And the thing that I found the most actually that I really needed to do was the less uh, the focus on that, but it was actually just creating alignment within the team. Because if you have a lot of people and they're making a project with you, uh, if they're making a different project than that, you'll see it starting to not take a shape that you know feels good. So you want to have like a unified vision across many different departments and teams. And so a lot of what I do is sort of create alignment and understanding. And if people think, well, you know, I think it should go this way, um, you have to have that conversation and say either, oh, that's a good idea, or mm, we shouldn't do that because of these things. Uh, so really a lot of my job is creating uh, a vision for the product and then creating alignment within those teams to make sure that it comes to fruition. Awesome. And that's that's more of the, it sounds like it's more of the um, game director side of it. The, the vision part is obviously yeah. the creative. Yes. Um, is it like split 50-50 once you have that role of creative game director? Because I've, I've worked with people who just have one or the other. Yeah, no, and normally that is the case. There's usually a game director and then a creative director. Uh, and the difference between those, I think, is uh, is one is the vision, right? The the creative director part of that is, you know, this is what the themes are. This is what the, the setting is. This is what the characters are. This is what the ideas uh, for the game need to be and what the universe is, effectively. Um, and I think that's more on the 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 feels side of things and the setting and the, the gameplay and all that fun stuff. But then on the, the, the other side of that, which is just the kind of game director side that that's just making sure that all of these teams are, are making those things together. And, uh, I, it's a, it's challenging because I, I think it's, it's a big role that, you know, if you get onto bigger teams, certainly you need 
two people to do that. We're on a team that's, you know, right now only 31 people. So it's not gigantic. From what we can say, from what we can say, <laughs> we don't want to say too much. <laughs> from what I can say right yeah. now. Uh, for, and that's just right now. It's growing still too. But, but getting to the point of where if you're on a team like World of Warcraft or something like that, you're going to need two people doing those positions. And even in the position I'm in now, there's a lot of times where I'm, I get kind of torn between, oh, I really want to focus on this thing right now, but I can't because these other things are happening. So, Yeah, I would think it's a lot because with doing what you just stated, you still got to micromanage the team to some degree to make sure everybody's doing good, everybody's happy. There's no confusion about how everything needs to be cohesive. Well, micromanage, I wouldn't use that term because I think that term has a pretty negative connotation to it. But It does now yeah. in these days. But, <laughs> but, but you're correct. I think the sentiment of what you're saying is absolutely correct because you don't want uh, – I think what you need to do is to create enough autonomy to where people feel like they can make the decisions and do the things that they are – that you hired them to do uh, so that they don't feel like well, I'm nitpicking every single little thing. I did that a lot very early on where I was like, oh, no, I wouldn't do it this way. I would do it this way. Uh, and I think there were definitely points where people would kind of like, man, you hired me to do a thing. Let me do the thing. So that's what, you know, you kind of have to learn and, and grow to, to do that. Right. To let them yeah. Know. That definitely comes with experience. I think, I think I did misspeak when I say I micromanage, I meant like, because there's like a plethora of things that you're going to be doing based off of what you already stated, what your job is as the visionary holder and also as the game director to make sure everything's working together. So I meant as another subset, there's another set of micromanaging, yeah. you know, so no, yeah. it's true. There's a lot of that stuff. Um, but yeah, it's uh, like, I, I have a, it's tiring. It's kind of like, uh, my wife said it this way. She was, she said, basically, I have two kids. She's like, you're a dad when you're at home and then you go to work and it's like, you're a dad again. Like, but you're a dad with, with like 30 kids, with <laughs> 30 kids that are like uh, over the age of 28, mostly. Uh, so. Yeah. They can all wipe themselves. Everything's good. <laughs> no need to wipe them. That's yeah. That would be uh, not, not kosher if I did that. Well, awesome, man. I think you uh, described everything. Well, let's go a step back. Let's look. We are on LinkedIn right now. Mm. We are on your page on LinkedIn. Yeah. We're going down your work history. Let's go back to 1996. Oh, God, no. Things were different in yeah. 1996. What inspired you to move towards video games? Or was it not first video games? Was it something else? Uh, so I've been playing video games since uh, I was three. Literally, I was playing on the Atari uh, you know, I'd, nice 2600, 2600, you know, you'd play things like Kaboom or, or Pitfall or mm -hmm. there was a Superman game on there back in the day. Yeah. Um, it was like, you'd pick up little bridge pieces and fly them up and pick up Lois Lane and stuff. So I've been playing video games a long time. And, um, you know, I, I uh, as a kid was obsessed with them and that just never really stopped. Yeah. Um, and, but the weird thing was I didn't know, I didn't know how to get into the industry. It seemed like a job that was just not really attainable in a way. In 1996, you were, it says orange. So you were in California still. Yeah, I was in California. Um, I was in, yeah, I, I'd born and raised in California and, uh, I went to school there and, uh, you know, I was always into drawing mm -hmm. and, um, and I did, uh, there's this program called logo writer that was on like the Apple two E's and you could make your own games and animations and stuff. And I was doing a lot of that stuff when I was in junior high, even before high school stuff. And, um, was making like zombies walk around and stuff like that when I was in seventh grade. So I was always into it. I just didn't know that I could apply myself towards going to, 
into video games. It just and I would read all the magazines and stuff about the developers that worked on stuff. So I knew who a lot of the guys were behind the scenes. Like uh, I remember I played a lot of Twisted Metal, and I was like, "Who's this Dave Jaffe guy?" Right, and uh, I was super into reading about twisted metal and then i'm like oh now he's working on god of war and i knew about all these people in the industry and i'd always read about e3 and even when i was in high school you know that was that was a big thing for me but i didn't really know at the time that it could be something that i could get into and you never bumped into anybody like being in california or knowing when e3 is around you never went down to la and just tried to get a glimpse because I know it was much more secure back in the day getting into E3. You had to be a dev, unlike now where you can just buy a ticket. Well, it used to be a long time ago. It was public long time ago. And then they shut it off to the public. Hmm. And then recently in the past couple of years, they opened it up to the public again. But yeah, um, no, I didn't know anybody. It was, yeah, there was an, you know, Blizzard was around, but they weren't at the time in 96 that would have been like warcraft 2 ish was kind of coming out right yeah that's true that's so true it, it wasn't was, world of warcraft yet right yeah it was just warcraft 2 and that was big for pc and things like that but it wasn't they weren't as big as they are now right so um there weren't a lot of orange county devs there was stuff in la um but i did i just i didn't know anybody um and so the weird thing was after high school, I basically, I went to Cal State Long Beach and I got a degree in communications. And while I was doing that, I interned at a couple of places. One of the places I interned was at uh, G4 TV. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a, a cable station that had, um, you know, video game news and updates right. and shows. And um, so I, I interned on the show X Play for four months and I hated it. I hated TV. What was your intern? Was it, it wasn't getting coffee, was it? Or what, what was it? No, it wasn't. They, in fact, were very emphatic about it not being that. They were right. saying, they like, wanted you to learn something. Yeah. They were like, no, don't get people lunch and stuff. Like what that. did you learn? What did I learn? I learned that um, TV is not glamorous in any mm. sort of stretch of the imagination. This is true. It was very much a, uh, uh, hey, we're going to go shoot at some park randomly because we need a bit that's going to be a minute long and it's going to be the bumper for the commercial that we're going to do. Uh, go scout that location and go get stuff set up and yeah. you know, get the leaves off of the park bench that you're going to be sitting on for the bit. And, mm. you know, so you'd have to go and get that stuff set up or you'd have to, for G4 specifically, a lot of what I, what I did was actually played video games. So mm. I would get the B roll for when they were doing the reviews. Gotcha. gotcha. So that's would, cool. Yeah. So it would be, um, they would say like, well, what games do you like? And if you're lucky, you got to, it was like, oh, you like Metal Gear Solid? Okay, here, play Metal Gear Solid. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll get through as much as I can. And then they take that B-roll and then they'd use it, you know, later. They comp it in with whoever they're interviewing or talking with or something yeah. like that. So in high school, did you already have an art background to some degree? Did you already, or did you do those things like what you're saying here about what you did when you were in uh, Cal State? Long Beach. Oh, Long Beach, I'm sorry. California State University of Long Beach. Yes. yes. Let me say the whole name. I'm sorry. There are two different schools. Yes. <laughs> right? CSULB. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, I had in high school, I, I did art. Okay. Um, and I had, before that, I had, I'd always drawn as a little kid. Like know? doodles or you were going Saturday mornings to a place and drawing? and. No, like I would okay. I, I would take classes in cartooning or, okay. or, or you know, animation. Yeah. I did uh, an animation program in high school actually during the summer. And Wow. Uh, Your so, high school is different than mine. Well, <laughs> it wasn't at my high school per se. Oh, okay. It was, okay. It was at a, um, like, uh, 
community center orange unified school district had okay. a couple of summer courses that you could take oh wow and it yeah. was off-site from their school so yeah I, I learned all that stuff but i that teacher was also just terrible and uh which sucked because i it really put me off animation for a while because oh, wow. i um i worked really hard i did all this stuff um and i went on vacation with my parents and i drew the whole time mm -hmm. like i was doing all the sheets and stuff we had to make mm -hmm. a minute animation yeah it was 2d 3d wasn't big back yes in the, yeah, okay. 3d was like that was level three of the course yeah and so i was in just the 2d part of it yeah so i drew hand drew everything right it was doing the flip pages mm -hmm. and then when i drew all of them i came back and then we had one of those cameras that was like overhead and you'd like put in your sheet take a picture right oh yeah that's how it was when i was in college as well so yeah. one of those so we that's what i did for a while and um the guy was like well you missed a couple of weeks so i'm giving you a c and i'm like i finished my animation and there were people that stayed in the class that didn't finish the animation that got an a just because they stayed there mm -hmm. so i got into this huge argument with him and i felt he, as a teacher he also didn't know how to animate well. Mm -hmm. And so th this was, it really put me off for a while. I was kind of like, well, I, maybe animation's not for me. Yeah. Maybe. Did he show you the the fundamentals or talk about anything like that? Or was he, how, how was he not able to keep your interest peaked? Was it because of the work he showed that you were like visually looking at it? Because everybody has a comment, right? Everybody has an opinion, which is good because everybody's eyes are different. But because you've been playing video games a long time and um, watching animated shows and movies that were out, when you saw his work, were you like, uh, and then second guessing him and then that was being projected onto you of like, yeah, this may not be for me. Well, I think for him, the, there were a couple of things. One, I, looking at his work, his animations, I was they were kind of cringy, right? Mm -hmm. Like looking okay. at it, I was like, uh, his art yeah. style wasn't very well developed it it was very like rudimentary yeah um so you know i wasn't looking at it going like because if you look at something like tex avery cartoons or yeah. if you look at like uh you know chuck um warner brothers chuck avery avery yeah uh no well tex avery tex avery chuck jones, um, jones. Yeah. thank you yeah no um, problem <laughs> i was like wait a minute you put me on the spot here <laughs> Yeah, like <laughs> you look at Chuck Jones stuff or you look at, you know, the guys that worked at Disney back in the day and uh, you see guys like um, this is the guy that did uh, American Tale and all that. Um, oh, that was a great movie. I'm not sure, though. Yeah, but Good anyway. thing we're not doing trivia right now. Yeah, <laughs> so the, anima um, the animator that did all that, like you would look at those just line drawings and you were just floored, right? You could look at old pencil versions of yeah, it was like Jungle disney or, quality type stuff yeah like, like even that, though that wasn't disney at the time no but it, yeah you could look at those things and go wow that's a really good animator not only can they draw well but they can communicate feeling with just pencil drawings which is insanely hard to do and he just didn't have any of that you know um so that knocked it off but then on top of that you know i i went on vacation and was literally drawing the whole time right and you know i was i was working and i brought it back and i did it and i finished you know a minute animation thing and it wasn't good but he also didn't have feedback that was really amazing to me right so like, oh wow so he grow me so he gave about. you a lower grade from just something based off his opinion but even for the work he didn't even grade your work and then put that apart no, of your grade. it was just attendance i didn't show up despite the fact that i worked and did it you know so it was all these things and i felt very just i don't know i i felt kind of deterred which is terrible like if i think about it in hindsight uh, it's so dumb of me. Like I should have just been like, 
whatever, that guy's terrible. I need to keep forging on. But it, in a way, it just kind of squashed my desire to learn. Um, but yeah, so I, if you want, uh, my art level now is basically if you want a terrible looking Todd McFarlane drawing, like I'm your man, I can do that. But, um, but it didn't really evolve beyond that. What brought you back? What brought you back to be inspired to, uh, do more art, even if it's not animation, what brought you back, um, towards your passion? Well, um, after, uh, I had always kind of drawn and, and, I would write stuff and, um, you know, and I, I would often think about like, oh man, yeah, I think mostly playing a lot of video games, I would kind of go like, why did they do that? Like, that's, why would you make it this way? Or like, why did they make that decision? Or this is really weird. So I, I'm hypercritical, right? And of my work and of other people's work. And I think I'd play a lot of games and there was this point where I knew whatever I was going to do after college, I wanted it to be in something creative, you know? And that's why I kind of went into the TV thing. Like, Oh, maybe I can be a writer and maybe I can help shoot stuff and who knows where it'll go. You know, I didn't fully know, but I wanted to be in, I knew I wanted to be in games. I would always look at, you know, job sites of, uh, big companies, but I never had any experience that would lend myself to getting a job anywhere. You know, I didn't know how to code. I didn't know what scripting was at the time. I didn't know what scripting languages you would even need to do to be able to do that. I knew that my art was not as good as somebody else's was per se. And I didn't know how to improve it. Like there was just a lot of stuff that wasn't there. But uh, eventually I uh, interned at a record label for a while. And after that, um, somebody had reached out to me from Disney Interactive Studios because they were looking for a production assistant. And they said, oh, well, you have intern experience at G4. You have intern experience at uh, Vagrant Records, which is mm -hmm. where I was at for a little bit. Yeah. So you could probably do production stuff and you'd like video games. You know, why don't you come this in? This is what someone else said to you? Yeah. Okay. And they were like, well, why don't you come in for an interview? And I was like, of course, you know, like a, as, you know, an animation fiend and as a, uh, as somebody who loved video games, I thought, oh man, this is, this is awesome. And at the time I was, it was either that, or I was interviewing for a job to work as, um, a web content editor for the offspring, the band. Mm. Um, so I was kind of interviewing for both of those things yeah. at the same time. Yeah. So what I would like to do is instead of most interviews when, you know, you'll talk about everything and then you'll do a retrospect of, you know, what would you have done differently over yes. the whole thing? Sure. I don't want to do that because I, I think it's important each step that you've uh, gained more experience. If you could look back in retrospect now, let's let's go back to the uh, college, let's just say high school, college time period. Right. What would you have changed? What classes would you have taken that you feel would have prepared you more for going into the workforce, even though the workforce you did, you did interns to begin, which is great. Yeah. A lot of people don't do that. It really yeah. does help a lot to see what you're about to get into. But what would you, what would you change or what would you say to someone that may be in high school now, even though the times are different, what they could prepare for to keep them a step ahead of getting into doing an internship or getting into the workforce if they're uh, lucky enough to get right into working. So I would say that the first thing is if you have something that you want to do, um, don't be deterred by little things or people telling you you can't do something. I. I to this day, I've been making a lot of stuff. You know, I just put out a board game. I, there's a lot of things where people are saying like, well, this is bad because of these things or like, why did you even do that? Um, so people will always tell you 
that you shouldn't do something or that the stuff that you're doing isn't worthwhile or, you know, say negative things about anything that you do. Yeah. And that never changes. That, it, that's it, the point. Yeah. It goes on through high school. It goes on through being a working man or woman or just a working person. It never changes. It never changes. You and only have control of yourself. When you're top tier creator, right? If you're somebody that's like George R. R. Martin, right? You have Game R- Game of Thrones that's out and people are just like, well, I can't believe that he did this in this book. And it, he's, he's, you know, one, arguably one of the best fantasy writers out there. Um, and there's always going to be some nerds out there, myself included, right? That are and the like, mo- it's the most anticipated show. It's the it's the what they were saying. I think it was the top grossing as far as like people viewing it on on the night it comes out, right. which is crazy. Yeah, and and there's always and look, I'm also the first, even on the show, right? Like the show, I'm like, I wouldn't have done that, right? Even I'm one of those guys, right? So I, I would say that um, people are always going to do that, and it should never deter you from you know, going forward, it should never stop you from, you know, looking forward to something that you want to do. Uh, and because you grow, you have to grow. Nobody started amazing. Um, I read this book recently on, um, mastery and how people sort of become masters in their field. So people like Leonardo da Vinci, right? He, when he started, he, uh, he got an apprenticeship and, all he did was just draw all day. And so they would do things where they would take some chairs and they would put blankets over it and then they would draw it and the sun would hit it from different angles. So you'd see the shading on it and it would be different and he would draw it and people would go, okay, my four hours are up. See you guys tomorrow. He'd be there all night. Right. That's awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, and, and I think that's the key for like, if you, uh, the, writer of this book, Robert, I can't remember his name. I'm sorry. But um, he wrote this book on mastery and it starts out where you know nothing basically. And mastery is this giant mountain that you have to climb. And to get there, there are different stages of that mountain. And at the bottom, it looks the worst because you know what mastery looks like and you know that attaining it is so freaking difficult that it becomes like, do I really want to climb that mountain? Did they also talk about um, this other thing that's coupled with it is that like that 10,000 hours, like you put 10,000 yeah. hours into anything, you're pretty much going to master it or no. They, they talked about, he talked about that a bit. Um, it's, it's interesting because there aren't, there's another mastery model that, um, the name of the guys that kind of, uh, denoted what it is, uh, or girls, I don't know. Uh, they didn't really, um, I don't remember their names, but they, they had talked about like how there are different stages of what mastery is the 10,000 hours thing. Um, I think that they had talked about it a bit, but even the 10,000 hours, it's not really true because you, although it is about repetition and doing it constantly, um, there's a point where you're defining the meta and that's truly what, what a master is. And that 10,000 hours does not necessarily mean that you're going to be defining the meta. It means that you have put enough time in to get near what mastery could be mm-hmm. um or at least beyond competency right so anyway I, we're, no that's we're interesting that's very interesting i'm pretty sure there's some stones out there that just look like crap that, <laughs> that he was working on when he first started too that's the, yeah i mean and he may have had like a little bit of talent right there there's this great sarah anderson comic she's uh she does a lot of web comics she's really funny and she has one where this woman is like, your drawings are so great. I wish I had talent like you. And she's like, it's practice. And she's like, no, that's just, I think you have a God-given talent. She's like, it's practice. And she's yeah, I like, think I saw that running around on like LinkedIn and social media or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I posted it on LinkedIn. Oh, it's, nice, nice. It's, uh, that is 
a hundred percent true. She's right. It's practice. You just, yeah. you do it over and over and over again yeah. and eventually you'll get good at it, but you need to have the resilience and the understanding that people are going to say it's crap or that you yourself will look at it and go, Oh, yeah. this is terrible. Oh, I, how long is it going to take before I'm good? Right. And you have to push beyond that. So. And that persistence too. Yeah. You got to have that yeah. persistence. Yeah. So awesome, man. That's good. So now that we've recapped that, I think that's great information for uh, viewers to, to see um, from your retrospective, because even though your experiences, you wouldn't want to change what your experiences are. They made you what you are. But it is good for people who are starting out to see like, okay, yeah, keep that in mind. Because it's hard. You're always going to get those voices. You're always going to hear things from other people. But you just got to tune it out and stay focused. The other thing, too, actually, which goes in line with this, is start from the bottom and work your way up. Because yeah. there are a lot of people that think like, oh, I can get in right now oh, yeah. at X level when you're not there yet. Um, and the thing is, especially in this industry, everybody and their mom wants to get into this industry. Yeah. And so it's, well, they think it's something it's else than what it is, to be honest. I, I still get, oh, you play video games all day. Yeah. That's, that's not what I do. No. That's not what I do all day at all. I look so. forward to the point where I get to, but it's, it's, it's not, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, they got to play test. Yes. But it, it it's not common. It's yeah. not like you do it for eight hours a day. Yeah. Um, but I, th I think a lot of what people need to kind of understand is that you have to, like I interned, I wasn't paid. Mm -hmm. I, I drove, so I lived in Orange County and I would drive to LA a couple times a week to intern at these places, mm -hmm. right? Unpaid. I knew that I wasn't like, there may be an op opportunity for a yeah. job. At yeah, it wasn't point. your motivation, which is great. Yeah. That's how internships should be. And, but the funny thing is I read a lot on, on social media or, you know, on, on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. um, where a lot of people are saying, you know, it's, it's bullshit that you have to work for free to be yes, able to get I've in. I've seen those. And, and it, I'm surprised they're putting it on social media because it's not anonymous. What are you doing? You're already painting yourself as like someone that isn't going to work well with others because you have this chip right. on your shoulder already. Yeah. And I, I think that uh, I'm I'm not the type of person to be like, oh, millennials. Blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there are people in every generation that think this way. Yeah, that's right? true. And so I, I think that there's a lot of the thing is, is you've got to be to be able to have that that um, persistence. You also have to understand that you got to start from the bottom and you got to work your way up. Yeah. And so uh, there, are, unless you are just mega talented and you start out, at, you know, in animating, and because you were four and you were animating already, right? Then yeah, yeah. holy shit, this is a prodigy. There's still flaws in that, though. Like I've seen people who have been amazing, lack social skills, lack being able to communicate yeah. uh, their work or communicate with the team. So it's there's still something about still starting at the bottom and understanding because if you lack uh in certain areas you can still make that up from working with a team you may be amazing but let your work speak for itself like it already has been but then learn the soft skills learn how to communicate and that's only going to propel you further faster mm -hmm. because if your work is already amazing and you just need to learn how to you know come out of your shell or uh, be able to take criticism from other people you know, you're going to really climb the ladder fast. Yeah. Um, but when you start from the bottom, it, it does take time. I've been in this industry for 20 years. I think you're going close to something similar. 13. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's one of those things where it is good to start at the bottom. A lot of times, a lot of people equate starting at the bottom to not like internships. I did internships too, which are amazing. That's why I, I thought it was a great idea that 
you did intern you did more than me i only did one internship um there wasn't much being offered in pittsburgh um but when people don't go the internship route and they just start working it still kind of comes across as like you need to understand uh what discipline you want to go in and then starting from the bottom will just give you, get your feet wet a lot of people think that starting from the bottom is like starting with uh, qa mm. Because, you know, you'll meet a lot of people in this industry who start with QA, um, which are the people who are playing video games all day. But they're doing it uh, in a sense of trying to find bugs and errors and things that'll uh, hurt the project. And they're trying to help you fix those things by pointing them out. And a lot of people will start in QA and then go into production. And then from production, their passion is, I want to be a designer. When they've already spent, you know, X amount of years doing something that doesn't equate over to design too well. Right. It allows them visibility in what design is and how who, whatever game they're working on shows them this is why they made those choices. But there's I've, I've experienced a lot of pitfalls of having people in positions that have started in QA but wanted to be something else but didn't start at the bottom in that discipline right. and work their way up. They try to, and this isn't everyone because I know I might get shit for this, but... Um, they went around and and then tried to insert or leave a position and get hired somewhere else for a title and then you know ride that wave as far as they can and that's one of the things that's like qa is one aspect of it and you can be an amazing qa qa is definitely needed in our industry um and you can be amazing in qa but it is important like what you're saying to start at the bottom in that discipline and learn. And if you want to learn about how to make a video game qa is the best spot to do it because you you touch so many different like there's qa for yes if i jump against this wall for 400 times on the 357th i can jump through it i figured it out but then there's also you know art qa and Mm -hmm. figuring out how things work on on those pipelines and Mm -hmm. and how they are going in and that you learn through I mean, before I was in the games industry, like I didn't know what a rig was, mm. right? Um, but you start figuring out like, oh, what's a, ri- what's a rig? Oh it's, oh, it's basically like a skeleton that's on the inside of, yeah. you know, uh, 3D models that you can pivot and move. And It's pretty much your armature. Yeah. Like if you're doing sculpting and Ex- stuff. Exactly, right? So setting that up, but I didn't know that, right? When I, but when I started at the bottom and started hearing about these things, like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. You start learning how games are made and then, it allows you to kind of make all the mistakes where it's not going to hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I, I think uh, QA is a great spot to, to start and then mm-hmm. kind of formulate within QA what it is. Do you want to do art? Do right. you want to get into animation? Do you? Right. There no, was- and I, I totally agree with that. I think that's a, because that QA is one of the more um, jobs that has more entry positions available to yeah. just get your feet wet. Just how do you get in? Um, I'm specifically talking about the people who go in QA, they'll do QA for 10 years, jump into being a producer for a year, jump into what their mango was right. for another year. And you're like, oh, how is this working? Yeah. You know, so, but I digress. <laughs> uh, so now you were an intern. Everything was going great. We're going, it's, it's March 2007. Yeah. You are now a production assistant at Disney Interactive Studios. Were you excited or what? <laughs> <laughs> I was excited. Yeah, I um I was I was very lucky. I, I had my web my uh resume on on monster.com. I remember that. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
So it was on monster.com and, and somebody found it. Uh, and they said, Oh yeah, you, you could work out. Why, why don't you come in and interview? And I was super nervous cause this was the first time that I had been at a, a corporate environment that was, you know, I mean, I was at G4 for a bit, but G4 wasn't as big as Disney was. And so being there and seeing, this is also where Imagineering was run. So you, you were seeing all this like cool Disney stuff all over the place. So, so you're like starstruck when you walked in oh, you're like, yeah. Oh my God, I made it. Yeah. I'm like, as an animation nerd, I was like, Oh, this is so cool. And then you had to go, like we got to go to, um, the studios that are in Burbank and, and, uh, I saw Ratatouille, um, it was kind of like a private screening and this is where they have the, uh, the seven dwarves like holding up all the buildings, right. Nice. On this. So seeing all this stuff, they had all these great, um, I can't remember what the, the technology was back in the day where they had the different layers of backgrounds and then the camera would go through it and it would kind of like look like it was a forced perspective. Oh yeah. I've seen something like that. I think they had it in one of their documentaries where they were showing like they started peeling back each layer and be like, see this tree? It was a part of this grander image yes. that we zoomed out of. And you're like, what? And they had that original thing there. And then they had the camera above it, right? So it would, it would hang out really high up. And so seeing that there, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. So I was, I was very excited to be there. You know, I was very happy to be there. And That's I awesome. Work on it. I got to work on Pixar titles. There were some less exciting things about it. I, I worked on like Hannah Montana uh, games or... DDR Disney Channel edition. So I was like, we got to get like that's so Raven and Zach and Cody in the game. Like it was just, I, you know, as somebody who like loves death metal and stuff like that, it's just not super exciting to me. But there were but, learning moments. I mean, I think yeah. in those instances, you got to work with celebrities. Uh, you got to work with uh, the limitations that brings on to a project, working with celebrities and yeah. what to do and not to do, um, which does change as you move up in the industry from working on titles that are show titles like tv show titles or movie entity titles and yeah. stuff like that so that's that's pretty crazy so at uh at the time when you were there what's what are some of the things that you take away from that um that would be important so let's just say this was your first job right this yeah. was the first job that you had this and first like career thing like yeah. i i had worked in the restaurant industry for Years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Years. no, no. I don't mean but like your like, first job working. I mean yeah, like this is your first job towards your goal of becoming what you are now. Yeah, yeah. So, was this your only opportunity? Was did you pick this opportunity other than the person finding you? You know, were there other prospects there, or were you like Disney on it? That well, it was Disney, and then there was another opportunity that I had that I ended up not getting. Like mm -hmm. I went through a bunch of rounds of interviews mm -hmm. and. So uh, I didn't get that one, and I'm, I'm thankful I didn't, actually, mm. because it allowed me to get to the point of where I'm at now. So, nice, gotcha, gotcha. Um, so I was happy to be rejected. I got like I got really far, and I got to the end, and that it was between me and another guy, lost, right? Um, but it got me to where I am now, so I, I'm actually really happy that that happened. So now that we're talking about this is your first job, let's, in retrospect on this aspect, the interview process that you brought up. So what... Yeah. What did you experience at that time? Was that the first time you uh, got interviewed for something outside of the internships? Those are more educational and yeah. they're trying to help. But what did you experience in the round of intern or the round of interviews that you went through that you did for this and the other one like that you can take away? Um, the, those interviews, I think, were a lot less critical than some of the ones that I was as my career got 
further along. I think it was kind of more like, look, if we get an intern or a, you know, a production assistant or something like what are they going to do? Right. They're not going to mess up too much. Right. Um, so I, I felt like they were asking a lot of, you know, pretty basic organizational stuff, you know, <laughs> like, do you get up early in the morning? Do you brush your teeth? Will you be here on time? Stuff right. like that. Yeah. Like how responsible are you type stuff? Yeah. It was stuff like that. Or like, what do you do in your free time? And what do you do? You know, uh, you know, what, why do you want to get into this field? And you know, what, what makes you think that you're qualified to handle this position? And you know, th- there was a lot of stuff that I would think is, is not challenging. Uh, okay. It was also so long ago that I think it was like, <laughs> you're just like yeah i think i'll be okay doing this all right you're hired <laughs> yeah <laughs> it wasn't anything too challenging that i recall um but i do remember um yeah i was i was super nervous and uh i just kind of went home and was like oh god i hope they contact me soon to let me know about this and i hope i don't mess this up and uh and i was super stressed about it and, and they called back and said yeah we want to offer you the position was, it, but here's the thing it was only a six month gig mm-hmm. they basically said at the end of the six months, if we don't have a position that's available for you, you know, we have to let you go. Um, it's a six month gig. Uh, so I was hoping the whole time, like, oh, I hope they have an associate producer position open uh, or something, you know? Yeah. And it's weird when they do that when they tell you early because your motivation for working changes because you're, you're working hard now because you want to keep your job as yeah. opposed to working hard just for the sake of the learning and getting better. And yeah. So, yeah, it was a, it was scary for me because I had never been unemployed up until that point. Right. I had always worked in the retail or restaurants or something. I had always been employed. And so the prospect of being unemployed for that mm-hmm. scared the hell out of me. Right. right. Cause I was like, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, what do you do? Oh my God, am I going to make enough money for rent? Like it was, it was nerve wracking, but, but I learned a lot. I, I learned how, uh, it was more on the publishing side. It was less on the development side. So I learned a lot of, you know, working with outside teams and how you kind of track what's going on and, uh, and working with them to get them the assets that they need because they were making like at the time, like Wally or Ratatouille and Pixar was very protective and rightfully so of their assets because they don't want them getting leaked on the internet or anything like that. So you'd have these developers that are like, Hey, what does a spaceship look like in Wally? And you're like, well, can't we can't take it with you i'm sorry right and so <laughs> yeah. so you're like uh, well how are we supposed to draw a thing and like well uh, here's some art that we can get blah, right um and sometimes they would just have them come on site and then just draw from that and then just have to take it home and remember from memory but, oh wow yeah so there was like eh, there's some stuff that was not great there um if you're trying to make a product that looks exactly like the movie then it means that you're going to have some challenges uh because if they're very tight-lipped about uh, letting anything out so, asset wise. So that's why you get those products that come out where you're like, this kind of looks like the character, but it's not like the character 100%. yet. It's endorsed by the studio. <laughs> and the weird part too, is that there are brand managers, right? Their job is to look at that. Doesn't look like Mickey. You know, yeah. Mickey does this. He has this shape. He has this look. Um, and so there are brand managers that look through those things and they have to kind of go like, ah, it's, it's kind of close. And then what happens is towards the end of the project, 
the game uh, or the the movie is going to be coming out in a few months. And so they're a little bit more flexible with what they can kind of show so that you can fix more stuff at the end, but then it is kind of this crazy rush to get it through and done. Yeah. It's like adding feature creep because you're like, we got to change all this stuff and changing all that stuff changes all this stuff too. And the brand managers that are looking at it go, you know, it doesn't look like this or this isn't true or why does it look like that? So there's, uh, there's a lot of stuff to coordinate there. And I felt, uh, almost bad in some ways for the the devs that were making this stuff because it was like, man, they don't have the assets that they need. And um, but you know you do what you need to do. And and the weird thing is, uh, in a lot of cases, even those games they'll do really well because the movie hype is is up. So if Ratatouille just came out, they're like, oh man, the Ratatouille game's out. And there's an eight year old that's walking by in in Target, and it's like, oh, the Ratatouille game. Then you get it. Yeah, they know their audience. They definitely know their audience. And those things are timed around the movies like you're talking about the releases and stuff it's very important because when you miss those dates the hype goes there's hell there's hell to pay too. Yeah, yeah that's the thing man if the, if you miss the that hype window your sales go down right mm-hmm. so you need to may, be able to deliver on time and you need to make a product that's not completely terrible and this is i think a lot of times why movie tie-ins are so bad is that you know it's like okay it's well, rushed we, you have to get it on time there's no real room for experimentation it's just get it in, get it done by this point in time. We need it on the shelf. Who cares if it's good? Just go. Um, so if you can really involve those people very early on and show them the assets and get them all the thing and experiencing what the game is. Um, but I, uh, it's weird in, in way later, I think I, I picked this, this part up, but um, <clears throat> a lot of, I think what makes video games interesting is that you're trying to fulfill a fantasy, right? And so if you are WALL-E, you know, you have to, okay, what does Wally do? What is his thing? Right. Right. And so they have to figure out what that is and make it look good and get it done on time is super challenging. It's really hard to do. Yeah. You're, it, you're not only making a game, you're making a game under such tight limitations right. of the visual aspect of what you cannot see just be told about. And then uh, making sure that you still hit that window of the hype train so that you don't, you know, and everybody doesn't get fired because he, this was right. the only product that was going on at the time. Well, I remember um, when Arkham Asylum came out, I was playing that game and I was like, man, this is this is a very solid superhero game. Maybe the best one I had played at the time. And uh, it wasn't related to any product, right? It was just its own standalone Batman. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think they did a good job by doing that. Well, they <clears throat> they actually canceled another Batman game that they were working on that was a movie tie-in at the time. Because they were seeing the Rocksteady one, and they're like, holy moly, this is a good Batman game. Yeah. And the other one was kind of like getting rushed in. And so I had friends that were working on the not Rocksteady version, <clears throat> and they were they were really bummed because the product got canceled um, as a result of, of that thing. But <clears throat> if you rushed to get it out with the movie, it wouldn't have been good, right? And yeah. so good on Warner Brothers, I guess, for kind of saying, you know what, we're not going to launch with, the, with this at the same time. Like, th- they had also delayed the Rocksteady version. It could it could have come out with uh, the Dark Knight Returns or whatever the second um, Christopher Nolan Batman movie was. Yeah. But they delayed it because it wasn't good enough yet. Um, and they could have had that Batman movie hype and they let it go and then they just put out a, a very good game. Um, so good on WB for doing that because not everybody does that. Yeah, that was important. That was a fun game. Uh, I don't think I played the second one that they had, but the first one was pretty good. It was... It was like that Spider-Man 2 game when it came out. And you're like, yeah. oh, my God, this feels like Spider-Man. Right. And yeah. there was no other uh, IPs that came out that were uh, being created for any other superhero. 
that you're like, man, why can't they make a Superman game well? Why can't they make a Iron Man game well? Why can't they make, you know? Yeah. And then uh, when they hit it out the park with Spider-Man and then Batman came out, you're just like, oh my goodness, this is really good. And you know, everyone's looking at that for whatever that next superhero video game coming out. It has to be better than this. Yeah. So no, it has to. I I think that's a big part of why that Batman game and why Spider-Man did it. It was you're doing the thwips and you're going around the city and you get to do backflips and it feels like you're Spider-Man, right? Yeah, you feel like a superhero. Yeah, regardless. Yeah. All right, so let's keep on going. You are now going to your next job. Yeah. Game designer and AP at Sensory Sweep Studios. Yeah. How was that? Awesome. How was that transition? Okay, so you went from the seven months to going into here. Was this something you found? Did you so what what was that process of you putting yourself out there? Did you did you look for this before you knew the other one was over? Uh, which is something I totally recommend if you're looking for looking for another job. Always make sure that you look ahead and not try to do things at the same time it, it'll be the world of difference of your successfulness of getting a job and being happy um just to throw that out there but from looking at um when you went to your next position was that something you looked for was it the same as the first where someone found it and you were just like hey okay here's an opportunity what yeah. happened there so uh yeah that my time was running out and so <laughs> i was really looking for something uh, anything i could get and i interviewed at Sensory Sweep, and I also interviewed at a place called Bottle Rocket, which was in San Diego at the time. They're, uh, they've since closed, but um, I was I had applied at Bottle Rocket, and I thought the interview went well, and then they had said like, "Hey, you just don't have enough experience, right?" And I was isn't that the worst? That is that the is the worst thing for yeah. someone to say, especially in this fledgling of an industry, right? When it was going on, well, they and they were like, "You were hilarious." you're really nice you know we really enjoyed talking with you but you just don't have the experience we're looking for uh, and, but it's understandable the thing was is I was applying for design positions and so I I was like you know I, uh, I the thing is I liked production and I liked design so I was good with doing either but um, Bottle Rocket at the time had a design position but I was not technical like I had never scripted before I had never done any of that stuff and so for them I, I I understand the reasoning you know which was you know you're not as technical you couldn't do the position so makes sense do you think that do you think that uh, changing well let me let me ask this first doing that doing what you had to do there as a game designer was that something that you always knew or were you still in the process of figuring out what kind of role you want to play within the industry at the time, I was kind of i I knew I wanted to do something in a, a creative capacity, right? Okay. I, I wanted to, uh, you know, make gameplay. I wanted to um, come up with the worlds that people were kind of in, and uh, so that stuff sounded very appealing to me. But at the same time, the thing that's fun about production is you get to work with everybody, right? You get to work with the artists, you get to work with the designers, you get to work with the engineers, and you need to you basically make stuff happen. Right. Because in a vacuum, if everybody's kind of just off doing their own thing, if you don't get everybody organized and get it out the door, then nobody will play it. Right. So part of me was like, oh, that, that's really cool. And, and I get to learn about those fields independently and and learn a deeper sort of knowledge and uh, kind of grow that way. So I was good with either, but I definitely was leaning more creative at that that time. At that I, time. I okay. wanted to kind of do like the design thing and 
So I interviewed with Bottle Rocket. I didn't get that one. Uh, at the same time, I was talking to Sensory Sweep. I'd put out uh, something on Gama Sutra. Uh, I had like my profile. Um, and so they found me there and they reached out and said like, hey, you know, you have some experience. Um, we're in Salt Lake City, Utah, which, you know, I'd born and raised in California. I was like, oh, this is this is different. I, I had always wanted to live in a place that snowed. Uh, and you know, California doesn't really do that unless you, I mean, you have big bear, you got big bear snow summit at the time. I think they combined now, but yes, but I think that's all you had. That's all you had it in Southern California. Snow is just ass, right? It's not good. (laughs) If you go to like mammoth, it's really good or Tahoe. It's great. But I wanted to be in a place that had, you know, seasons and stuff. And, and I wanted to try to go outside of California. Um, so I interviewed there and, uh, I, in hindsight, I should have done, I was so desperate to get in somewhere and not be unemployed that uh, I, there were some warning signs that I should have really been paying attention to. Um, so they said, uh, I interviewed, uh, I talked with uh, a, a producer and a designer, and then I talked with the lead designer, and then I talked with the owner of the company. That's a lot of interviews. Yeah, I went through all of them, and uh, they said, okay, we want to offer you the job. The guys here seem to be really excited about your answers and what you had gone through, and that they like your, your promise. Um, so we want to offer you the job. And I said, well, I've never been to Utah and I don't know what your studio is like. Can you fly me out there? And they said, uh, we'll work something out. So they sent me an email and they said, uh, we'll pay for your plane ticket. Um, so you can meet us here. And I said, okay, but what's the deal with like, are you guys going to pick me up in a rental car? Am I like staying overnight? I think that would be implied, right? Uh, oh, oh man. <laughs> All right, you would in. think. <laughs> You would think, but the problem was it was not. They they basically said, oh, no, 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 you will pay for that. And if you don't take the job, it's up to you to cover the cost. And if you do take wow. the job, you can use that as part of your relocation package and you'll be set and you won't have to worry about it. So part of me was like, wow. like it, internally, I was like, this is a bad sign. Yeah, of course. This is a terrible sign. But the thing was, I didn't have the experience to go places yet. Right. So the, the side of me that had worked internships and, and you know, worked a lot of nights for free and all that fun stuff was like, no, I need to do this if I want to get into this industry, because if everybody wants in, I have to differentiate myself. I have to have experience. <sighs> all right, I'll do it. And so I, I flew out there and checked it out and they had about 200 people working at the studios. Big oh, wow, studio. a huge studio for them not to have something in place of getting people there for interviewing on site. That's crazy. Correct. That would also be another sign that something weird is happening. But so I got there and they worked on like Jackass, the movie, the game (laughs) they worked on. They had like a couple of like DC titles that they did that were like for the DS at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, they had, you know, Wii titles and, and things like that. So they were very much a, um, a very like nineties sort of run video game studio. They were just, they were a port house, right? You know, it just, that's yeah. what I was going to say by what you just explained. Yeah. Nineties port house, literally studios were only taking what they could to float yes. and like just doing any type of property as many of them as they could bring on, which already takes you to that m- mediocre level quality work which is kind of crazy. There have been some hits that come out from that, which were just like gems. Yeah. But yeah, I've I've been in studios like that where, and that's not saying that all the projects are bad. Um, it's just a different way of making a game. It's um, just not a. It's not a sustainable business over time. It's not because you don't 
you get enough to get by, but then what that means is that when you don't have something, yeah. you lay off a lot of people, yeah. which sucks. So, um, and I don't, they were trying to make their own tech to make their own engine, which again, I wouldn't recommend at this day and age because you have the Unreal. The curse of all studios. Dude, you have Unreal, you have Unity, you have all these other things. And at the time there were even more that have since, you know, uh, passed on. But, uh, but really they, that was their big thing. They were like, oh, we're going to make this. And their tech was not good. Um, even the engineers that are working on it, they're like, we know it's shit. Sorry. Right. <laughs> they're just doing their job at that point. They're like, Hey, they want us to make things fly. Yeah. Make them fly. You know, and, and even they had to the owner of the company that had said, well, why don't we just use unreal? And he's like, well, then why would I hire you guys? Right? That's so messed up. He should have just listened. A lot of people, or well, not people, but a lot of studios do that where they will start working on those projects just to get by, but then try to make their own engine. I have been in studios where they take on small projects like that, but they always have that goal of like, we're going to do our own thing. And yeah. they would have a few people every now and then when there's a little bit of downtime, add a little bit more artwork, add a little bit more animation, add a little bit more code to it. Let's get some more functionality in there. Okay, let's go back. We got three more titles that's going to help pay the bills for the next year. We're going to have two months off. We're going to spend that two months on working on our own project. And so I have seen that work. You're, you're talking about Psyonix right now. Psyonix yeah. who did Rocket League. That's what they did, right? They yeah. they had this game that they wanted to make, and they would make things for other companies. And they were like, hey, you know, we, if we do this uh, multiplayer thing, if we do this thing for this other company, if we do this port, if we do these things, then it allows us to make our things in our free time, our passion project. Yeah, and they did it right. They yeah. they made something, and then when they put that Rocket League out, they just kind of put it out. They gave it away. Uh, I remember when I got it, it was because they were doing the PS4 yeah. launch of it. And yeah. it was like, Same. it's free for like, I think a week like or two weeks. And yeah. then they, yeah, they kept it free. Yeah. And then they were like, once that goes away, you still keep it. You don't have to just up and pay. Yeah. And they just got bought by, I think, Epic, by right? Epic, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. But that, they did it right. But they were also using the Unreal Engine, right? Yeah. They didn't make their own That's true. thing. And so anyway, they, uh, being at, they, they did it the smart way. The company I was mm -hmm. at did not. Um, so I'd worked there. The first game that I worked on there, and um, actually, so to get me there, I flew there. I talked to them. And they said, okay, well, right now we're in talks with Midway, who are not around anymore. Mm -hmm. But yes. um, they said, we're working on uh, a pitch basically, and we're pretty, we pretty much got it for um, Smash TV. Mm. So uh, you mean Smash TV, like the top down yes. one that they had in arcades back in the day? Yes, the top okay. down sort of, uh, they had it on the NES, they had it in the arcades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and shoot 'em up. Yeah, it was a shoot 'em up. It was kind of a bullet hell, old, old school. Twin stick. Yes. And so, uh, hearing this, I was like, oh man, I love that game when I was a kid. You know, uh, if, if I got to work on the modern version of that, that sounds really cool. So, um, so I took the job and I moved, I packed all my stuff. My wife who was going to school and was my fiance at the time was going to school out here. So she stayed in California while I went out there, mm. which sucked. Okay. Right. So I'm apart from my fiance. Uh, and you know, I move all my stuff over a weekend. I throw it in my house and mm -hmm. I start on the Monday that I, I get there. Wow. And the first thing I hear when I get in there, they're like, Hey, Hey, welcome aboard. We didn't get Smash TV. Oh God. You're like, that's what I came here for. Wait, you're telling me, do I have a job? Is well, that what the next question that was, was? That was my next thing. I'm like, should I be worried? You know, that, yeah. uh, and they said, don't, don't, yeah, don't worry. We've got a couple other possibilities and we have a, a pretty much definite one that we're going to take, um, which is major league eating the game. I was like, <laughs> 
Wow. It's shit. You man. didn't feel too good. No. I, I'm pretty sure you didn't feel too good moving I, there and, and getting that. I went into my car. And Did you I, cry? Did I, you cry? No, God, no. I screamed. Oh. I, I was just like, <laughs> fuck. Like, I was just so angry. And, uh, and I was like, I just moved across three states to work on majorly gaining the game. Cool. So, hey, uh, man, but you never know. This is, it is different back in the day, but you never know. That could come out now and be a fucking hit. Funny, and you'd be like, oh my God, I, it's so random. Funny, my success. Funny <laughs> you say that, that, that. Apparently, they re released it on mobile and it did okay, I guess, oh, uh, hearing wow. about it. So, yeah. uh, they literally took it, just ported. They just ported it to mobile, yeah. took all the assets, put it in, and it's pretty much the same game. So, uh, they're probably like, who's laughing now, Frost? We heard you in your car. <laughs> <laughs> it was terrible man we they the thing the publisher that had pitched it had said we want to make a game that's like a mix of ddr mario kart and street fighter alpha okay and i was like how are those games related in any way yeah that's Uh, weird and so they said well we want it to be competitive so we want it to be like a a fighting game kind of and are competitive in some sort of way and you know like mario kart has power-ups and ddr has like fun dance mechanics and this is for the wii so it was they wanted it on the wii wear which oh is so you could still like use the sensory controllers and do yes. stuff okay so they're okay. like yeah it's kind of ddr and kind of mario kart with power-ups but then like street fighter because it's like pvp a little bit and so inside my head i'm like just i'm just dying inside right because i'm like why this is all this sounds so stupid right and this the IP is terrible, right? Uh, and so I was, I'm like, okay, but but we had to make something, right? Because they're paying us to do this, and so the thing that we ended up coming out with was um, basically there's a pile of food, and power ups pop up, and when you eat the food, they either go onto your plate or your opponent's, and then you can use them, right? So you can like burp in people's faces, and you're trying to make them throw up, right? So you'd have to. Oh like, wow! So that's like a it's a game for like kids then was your audience like little kids yeah that thought like oh you burped <laughs> yes exactly it was like can we do disgusting stuff they're like oh yeah because they had terms for like if you threw up it was the reversal of fortune was like a thing that they would, oh wow they would call it that in the show so it was like pre-achievements that was an achievement yes. you could get okay, okay. <laughs> well it was you, around you, yeah. you don't want to have a reversal of fortune it was actually the opposite of the it was game okay. over if you did that so okay. you would but there was like an antacid power-up so it would like oh, calm wow. down your stomach so you had to keep your stomach down but then you also had to like try to make your opponent throw up but then also try to get the highest amount of food that you're eating so it was this balancing act between these three things you know i think the thing that that might have been missing is that it just needed a successful uh, IP overlay like that could work with The Simpsons. That could work with Futurama. Oh, totally. It would have totally Dude, been he, successful if the if the game controls were also not great, right? Because the sensory, you know, it was like to eat. You would literally just go like this with the remote, <laughs> and you chew by like hitting the thing, right? So you're just going like this, and then you would have to like shake your stomach and go like that. And then they had different food types. So you had like the corn one where you go like this. And it was just so bad. Right? Or Wario. Wario would have made that sell like crazy. I agree. Wario where There's type. The core game loop is actually not bad, right? It's a balancing mechanic game where you're trying to make somebody lose, right? It's a party game. It's very like whatever. But watching this is like what I was dying inside even more. We went through that whole painful process of making this game with a soft piece of software that was not great. Um, and then we, we got it done and we shipped it and the studio was just happy that we didn't get it canceled. Right. Mm-hmm. Like they were like, good job. You guys, I can't believe you did. The game was fun. And it was, it's like, it wasn't that great. Yeah. I, I don't know why anybody's happy. 
Uh, and then reading the reviewers, it was just the worst thing because you have these guys on IGN. You can tell, like I could just see the IGN room of writers mm -hmm. who are going like, okay, uh, you, you get Metal Gear Solid, you, you get Castlevania, you, you get Halo, you, you get Major League Eating. And you know that guy was like, fuck. Damn it, Major League Eating. Major League God Eating. damn it, right? <laughs> Ronnie got Halo and I get Major League, ugh. Right, so <laughs> it was, it just reading all these articles, it was just, they were like, why would you ever make this game? This yeah, game is terrible. Sucks, yeah. The graphics are awful. Is this, the uh, right, just going through. And, and in a lot of cases, they weren't wrong, right? Yeah. And and to your point, if the IP was different, I guarantee it would have been a higher score. Because yeah. gamers don't care about Major League eating the game. Nobody cares about Major League eating the game that's in this But the audiences market. that would have liked like uh, that overlay of like Simpsons or Futurama or whatever it was, you already have like, even though it's for kids or they may have thought their audience was for kids, you now you're going to have the 20 to 30 year old crowd that watches those shows that would have been like, oh, this is hilarious. I'm going to play this game now. Right. Even if it's just to buy it and play it and then never play it. Or, you know, like you said, I think they put it on mobile. Yeah. I mean, people would eat that up. The people, it'll probably do well now. You no, know, I if it's, yeah. So. I'd have to look it. I'd have to look it up because I, I saw that it was on mobile and might have to buy the IP. Somebody, huh? <laughs> I'm going to have to go for it. It's probably not expensive. Uh, but yeah, so anyway, it, it, I learned a lot from that. I also worked as a camera designer on Tales of Despero, which is a movie tie-in game. That game was also really bad. Uh, it was just the tools and the tech and the time, the people and the organization, it was just not there. And so, um, but I did a lot of like little camera things. I learned a lot through there and their scripting system and how it worked. And um, yeah, it, I learned a lot of things from it. Um, and in fact, I, I, the things that I learned the most were what not to do. So when I would go to other studios, I'm like, oh, don't do that. That was don't your that. that was your uh, your growing pains phase yes. of learning like, oh, I'm going to do this. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And or that other people's growing pains, too. Like I would yeah. see stuff that they would do. And I'm like, oh, no, um, they must feel horrible inside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I learned a lot. I made a lot of mistakes. And I um, and I also I learned a little bit of humility in that, you know, when I first before I got in the industry, I'm like, why do these people always do this with these games? Like, how hard is it? You know, I'm like, I don't understand why they make bad. Why do bad games exist? Mm, that gotcha. question. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then I'm like, oh, I get it now. Right. There's time constraints and there's IP restrictions and there's, you know, tech problems. And there's just all sorts of things that are fighting against you to stop you from finishing things. So. So in retrospect. For this position, yeah, would it be uh, advantageous to say make sure the project that you're moving across a couple of states for is like signed first, or what? Would, how would you quantify? <laughs> how would you quantify the retrospect of of this experience moment that you had well, to someone else that's maybe in the same position or thinking about moving away from their family mm -hmm. to do this? I, you know what? I, I don't know that I would have changed my mind in that situation. I, one of two things could have happened. I could have stayed and been unemployed, which would have not have been the worst thing in the world for me, right? Um, and then eventually found something. I just would have had to apply, apply, apply. What happened that was kind of crazy, though, with them was um, at the end of both of those projects, they stopped paying people. Oh, wow. Like how they do it? 
this day and age where they expect you to keep coming back to work and they're not paying you Correct. or they just stop paying people and people are just like, screw this, I'm taking my computer, I'm going. Some people did that. Most didn't. Most were, you know, Salt Lake City, there's a lot of Mormons that are mm. very nice and okay. amicable people. And they were kind of like, well, I'll help you out. I'll try to get, to, you know, as much as I can. And uh, and so uh, I'm I'm like that too, but I'm just slightly sarcastic, right? Like, I'll, I'll try, right? Like, I'll, I'll try to help you out. But, you know, like, oh, this is kind of shitty. Uh, <laughs> so we were doing that stuff and we were trying to get projects and this was happening right when the economic crash was happening. So this is... Oh, 2008. Eight. This yeah. is late 2008. Oh, wow. So that was in the middle of your... That was in the middle of your time there. Yes. And okay. so what they had promoted me too. They had said like, okay, we're going to put you in as lead designer, which by the way, I had a year-ish of yeah. experience. Yeah. And so if they're naming me Terrifying. lead designer, yeah, that's that's not like I wouldn't have done that at the time. And I at the time... Well, at least... Like, you know, sure? well, at least... It sounds like you didn't go into it going like, yeah, I am the man. And you no. just tried to front it off. So no. that's good. No, it was more like, hey, uh, you kind of, you're, you're motivated and you want to get stuff done. And yeah. the, the reason that it's, it's AP and designer on there is because okay. there was a point where one of the publishers that was, I was on another project that eventually got canceled because we were working with Midway. Okay. Midway went down right at that time. So it sounds... Midway went down and then came back and went down again, like multiple times. Then they did because um, that doesn't. I don't think that was when they were done. Done. No, that was when they were done. Done. This oh. was this was when um, they had basically sold Mortal Kombat. They had uh, yes. um, okay. they had sold a couple of their IPs completely. Okay. Um, and a they lot were of, doing that to kind of pay bills, but then it was just done. Like they sold done. off everything. Yeah. Gotcha. So, so that was it. That was. So they were under, and they they had basically um, at one point the guys in management people from midway wouldn't talk to them but they would talk to me hmm. so because you're a lead or just because i was i would respond to things i would oh, listen okay. to stuff i would you know send them detailed information right and somewhere at your job they're like why is this guy talking to them oh my god well they were like <laughs> they were like uh frost can you talk like they were okay with uh, okay. it too okay. right okay that makes which sense. in hindsight i'm like why though yeah you know it, there was just so much stuff that it's was just prepping you for that management well it <laughs> helped i mean i learned a lot from it to, yeah. to be sure um but i got both sides so i actually wasn't a producer really but I did producer things, right? So I was doing design work, but then I would also be an actual producer on this stuff. So that's why I have like AP on that title. So um, basically after all of that stuff happened, eventually the state came in and the, the guy that owned the place like went to jail for a little bit. Oh, wow. Like this whole thing, it was just crazy. It was, um, I learned a lot. Um, I also learned, and this is a very hard lesson that I think a lot of people now are very sensitive about, but I learned that sometimes you just have to lay people off because yeah, that's a, that you do learn from being in an industry that, um, people find it hard to do that. I think in California, people find it hard to do that because they can get sued very quickly right. if you lay off too many people. There's like some laws in place where if you uh, lay off too many people at one time, it's kind of a red flag. Right. And if one of those people decides to sue, you're kind of fucked. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is bad. But, um, but yeah, that's a very true statement. Well, you got, if you see the writings on the wall, you got to make a change. Well, the thing that they didn't do is they kept all these people employed. And what that meant was that they didn't have money to pay everybody. Yeah. So they'd pay some people kind of, <laughs> but then they wouldn't pay others. And so if they would have 
been more proactive about saying, okay, well, the money we have is not going to work in two months. We've got to cut some people. Or just maintaining awareness of where they are and really looking at where that red line is and not just letting the company go under, 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 and then going, okay, hey, we need to let people know now that they can't get paid. They could have told people that, you know, in advance from just experience. Like, I feel that it is better for the studio's uh, viability of, you know, prolonging going under, you know, if that's the case, by just being upfront with people. And a lot of times when they are upfront with people, people will take that as like, all right, yeah, thanks for letting me know. Yeah. And they'll they'll move on. And in times with them moving on, that could help because you still need to have people in the background trying to find projects, trying to find things, trying to mm-hmm. still do their job instead of everyone trying to jump ship right. at one time. So And my wife had moved to Utah a few months before that. And so, uh, and we bought a house there because I was like, mm. oh man, I've heard about this American dream thing where you like get money and that you can like buy houses and stuff, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> Got to save, spend, and then save some more. <laughs> yeah. And then, so I, but in Utah, the, the cost of living was much cheaper. Mm. So I was like, oh man, I can afford a house here. This is what I, you know, this is what my parents have talked about. And then the economy took a dump and my house went from, you know, uh, it lost 70 grand in value in a month. Oh, wow. I thought you were going to do the upside of you bought after no, the market went this, down. There was no oh, upside wow. at this point. So, so you bought in 2008. Yeah. And so I bought it because I thought I was an economic genius. I'm like, oh, man. Oh, the housing costs are low. I should buy now. And then it just it just went completely down. So I had then the, when on my first payment for the house, they didn't have my check. I was like, are you kidding me? So, wow. And so this was all very rough stuff, right? Like, and you're all, you're experiencing it all for the first time. Like it's a big deal. It's It's a big deal. Yeah. So being in, you know, out of state, I'm not near family, you know, it's just me and my wife. Luckily she was working at the time. Um, so she was able to kind of cover and then eventually I just asked to be laid off so that I could get the unemployment. Right. So that's smart. So I got that and they're like, can you still come in and work? I'm like, no. No, and I've given you guys enough time. Sometimes you will you will find yourself going like no, but then you'll be like, what am I going to do all day? <laughs> I've, I've been at a place before where they did something similar to that, where they uh, laid off people, but then they said, hey, you don't have to come in and work, but you can come in and work on your reel or come in and, mm. and update your work or grab what you need and just use this time. They were like, these machines are going to be sitting here anyway. Just use this time, use these machines. Like the company really That's cared. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thinking back, I'm not sure who all benefited from doing that. Uh, but I think it kept people's mind off of sitting at home and like sulking in what just happened. What I did actually during that time was I learned unreal three. That's great. That's perfect. I basically said, okay, well I need to learn something to some skill set to, to get me competitive and get me out into other markets and things. So I, um, I watched a lot of these. Uh, this was back when Unreal was not free to download. What you had to do right. was buy Unreal Tournament 3, and then they had their level editor, and mm-hmm. then you could mess with that. And then I found some tutorials, I think, that were included on the disc. And so I just watched those, and it was like this like 3D buzz like videos on how to do it. Yeah. So you, I learned like Kismet and level editing. and um, So I was like, okay, I'll just make a bunch of shooter levels and stuff like that. So I learned level design and... Um, like all self-taught at that point. Right? Yeah, basically. Well, I was watching the tutorial, so it was like 
self-taught. Yeah, that's self-taught. Yeah. I mean, you're taking the initiative to press play. Yeah, and that's true. Pay attention. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and and go back and go like, oh, I messed that up. Why did I mess that up? And yeah, and, yeah but I, I learned a lot of stuff through that, and um, and I took a lot of design tests, and I needed to know mm-hmm. Unreal to be able to do that. Yeah, right. That's so I, I basically I had to go to somebody's house actually who had a PC that could run it. Cause I didn't have one at the time. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go to his house and then like hang out at, with his family's like running around. I'm like, Hey, can I just use your computer to do this? He's like, yeah. So I was like going there and, and doing that stuff. So a uh, guy named Henry that uh, I went to his house and he let me do that, which was really cool. That's so, awesome. But yeah. it sounds like you, like you said earlier, you did start from the bottom. I mean, it sounds like you already mm-hmm. got your feet wet yeah. as a, uh, a production assistant, Yeah, but when all was said and done and you knew where you wanted to to go or you knew what you needed to do to elevate yourself to adapt to the changes of the industry yeah you went back and you went into that you went into that cave like like iron man one right (laughs) you were in that cave you're like i gotta i gotta get this running somehow here's my potato you know hopefully it'll run and you learned what you needed to learn and so i mean i think that this says a lot about where you are in your career right now and the things you've experienced at that time so that's awesome yeah, it was a lot of work, but um, well worth it. And, you know, I, I did a lot of things and uh, I got a, a job. It was this weird thing where I did a test and I sent uh, the thing off and I got, they were kind enough to actually give me feedback on my test, right? Mm-hmm. And I they were like, we like you, this is cool. Uh, uh, we had a project kind of fall through, so we don't we can't bring you on mm. yet. And it was in Chicago, actually. Honesty is good. And yes. it sounds like that would have taken you further away. Yes. From family. Yeah. So and I had a house in Utah. Right. So I, um, they said, we can't do it right now. And they reached out to me eventually after I had another job and I was like, ah, it's a little too late. But, um, but that whole experience was really awesome for me because I was able to learn, you know, I, I went through and did the thing and they gave me feedback on the level itself. And I was like, oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. And I learned all that stuff. And it was a, it was a test. Like they were saying, can you make a level for a first person shooter that has these restrictions and you know, these things, and this is the setting and this is the, okay, go. Right. Um, so I did everything, did the lighting, did the, you know, doors opening up, did the dude spawning, did like puzzles, did the whole thing. And, um, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do that if I didn't go and research how to get it done, you know, a few months before that. Yeah. And that's awesome. That's, that's one of those things. It's almost like you're working for free because you're getting feedback for free, which is awesome. Yeah. So that's cool. So let's go into your next way for technologies. Yeah. Associate producer and level designer. Yeah. So that one, I, I came, <clears throat> I came back to California with my wife from Utah. From Utah, okay. found a, found a renter for my house. So it, found a renter, so you, you were able to keep the property. Yes, that's good. Yeah. So they you were, didn't sell. That's I good. didn't. I didn't sell that. I'm not going to even talk about okay, the house you don't for have this to. time. Lot, it's another question. nightmare. <laughs> Got out of it eventually. but On our oh next God. show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you don't want to hear it. It's an awful story. But uh, so I um, I came back. I was unemployed. Okay. And um, I went to Disney Interactive Studios to get lunch with some people that I used to work with. Okay. And they said, uh, oh, hey, it's been a while. We should, we should talk and hang out. I said, okay. So I was talking with people and. They said, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, nothing right now. I just got back and unemployed. And they said, like, I think I know some people. Like, do you want me to reach out? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yes. Right. I, I, was, <laughs> yeah. I was very interested in getting employed again. So um, luckily, they knew somebody at WayForward Technologies. WayForward Technologies is more known for Shantae recently. Um 
which is uh, they do mostly like side scrollers and stuff. So they've done like DuckTales Remastered and Boyna's Blob and um, Blood Rain and a bunch of other side scrollers. That's awesome. Those are those have a huge market. Even now, they oh, have yeah. a huge market. Mm-hmm. They, I think it's rebounded because before yeah. games were a lot just side scrolling. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it's awesome. they had the old school aesthetic down like they knew how to make a solid jump they knew how to make like cool side scroller mechanics their art style is really good they they do basically hand-drawn stuff for everything nice was so it was really great to see all these characters that are you know it, it went it harkened back uh to like the virgin interactive days where you'd see like um lion king or aladdin on the genesis or snes mm-hmm. so it was all hand-drawn side scroller stuff so it was really cool yeah those are great games too i remember oh, playing yeah. both of those on the genesis I was a big fan of those back in the day and, and a side scroller fan, right? So I'd, I'd say Mega Man 2 is one of my favorite games of all time. Yeah. So we, we did the interview and I think what helped me get in actually, they were like, so talk about some of your favorite games and uh, that's like NES games. And I'm like, ah, oh, you know, Mega Man 2. Uh, I, and I know I'm in the minority, but I actually like the second Zelda. And they were like, Really? Yeah, even I'm like, what? What? <laughs> what? What did you like about the second Zelda? Because that was kind of a flop. It is not. I so. Here's the reason that I think people see it as a flop. I think they see it as a flop because Zelda One is, you know, arguably one of the best games ever made. And yes, true, and, true and statement. He's speaking facts. <laughs> it is a, and rightfully so. It is a very good game, and I think it was a different developer that worked on the second one. That is also true. Yeah. And so they, when they did it, it was like very much like Super Mario 2, right? Which is like a different developer from the original one. Preach. Yeah. So, but now here's the, here's the part where I am putting on nostalgia glasses for sure. Right. It was one of the first games that I had on the NES. Mm. Right. Now I played through the Zelda, I played through Zelda 1, but then I had Zelda 2 also. One of my crowning achievements as a gamer is like beating that game. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Not many people I know have been able to beat Zelda 2. It's a freaking hard game. Yeah. So, uh, but I kind of, I kind of liked the side scroller combat that they had. They had this like, you could crouch and stab, right? You had the downward thrust, right? You had all these um, different mechanics. And when you were sword fighting with like skeletons and knights, they had their shields and they would like block up and you'd have to like trick them into like stabbing up. Mm. So that stuff for me, I was like, that's, that's a lot of fun. That feels like a fun, like sword fighting sort of experience. That's side scroller. Yeah. It sounds like you would have liked it even if it wasn't a a Zelda entity or Zelda. And that's kind of the way that I look at it. I don't really consider it part of the Zelda pantheon in a way. I just view it as like, it's a fun game. Right. And so they were they were super intrigued by this. It's like canon, right? It's like when they yeah. say it's it's canon. Oh, it's not a part of the full thing. They just made it. Yeah, it's it's like uh, they're making a new Terminator right now. All the yeah. other ones before, like after two, they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a dream sequence. Yeah, Man, yeah. they'll never know. Yeah, exactly. It's, we're just not treating that as part of the canon. Yeah. So for me, that was I I loved that game, and and it's kind of like Dark Souls, but old school, right? Mm-hmm. You this open world ish kind of game where you get to go around and you get like oh now i have the hammer now i can break rocks and go on the other side and now mm-hmm. i have the candle so i can see in the dark and now you had all this stuff and it was a really interesting rpg i think back in the day and it gets a lot of shit and uh understandably because you had zelda as a precursor before it so is it as good as zelda one no uh do i think it's still a good game and do i think it gets better out actually yeah 
But um, so they were super intrigued by this. They were like, oh, interesting. Right. Yeah. So I was able to talk shop, I think, well enough. And, you know, I had said like, oh, yeah, I knew some scripting stuff that was proprietary at my previous thing. I've done some Unreal stuff. So they were like, okay, so it sounds like you've done some of this stuff. So cool, we'll bring you on. Um, and I was telling I was playing Batman at the time. And I'm like, oh, man, it was really good. It's a really good Batman game. And, uh, and I'm a huge Batman nerd, so I was talking all about it. And so I, I got through everything and they hired me and they said, okay, so the game we're working on is a Batman game. And I was like, what? Oh yeah. my God. Did I say I was playing a Batman game? <gasps> awesome. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that I had said in the interview, they're like, why do you think the current Batman game is so good? I'm like, they don't have a Batmobile segment. Mm. They just focused on like what makes Batman cool. Well, there was a Batmobile segment in the um, third one. Well, the one that was on the Game Gear yeah so this one that one was amazing i remember playing that as a kid you could do the you they had the ship they had the batwing and the batwing and the, yeah it was so, awesome but my problem with it was is like when you would play it in games it would divert the the focus because it would be like well we have to have a batmobile and we have mm. to have a batwing and we have mm. to have this and it's like dude just focus on making what the core loop is yeah make that fun right and so my my point was with the rocksteady one it was like they didn't go we have to add a batmobile thing we have to have this they just said, okay, it's it's in Arkham. You're doing Batman shit. You're yeah. hanging upside down and, you know, putting guys and, you know, stringing them up and leaving them on gargoyles and being sneaky and then beating the hell out of, like, 90 dudes. It was all Batman shit. So I was like, that's really cool. And so they said, it's so funny you said that because we literally cut a Batmobile sequence that we had because we just we couldn't focus on getting it. And we just said, yeah, screw that. So when you said that, that was like, oh, that's really intriguing that he said that. Right. Nice. So I was like, oh, wow. I kind of like I walked into that one just because I'm an opinionated bastard and was like, that's, that's what I think. I think it also helped uh, with how your explanation of Zelda 2 was as well. Right. Because you I think you articulated your view well on why you liked it and what was fun about it, because I think like myself, I think a lot of other gamers thought this was the new direction they're going into when it came out. And right. you're just kind of like. WTF? Did someone get fired? Like, sure. what happened where you guys had this very successful first game, and you're literally just flipping this, the table over and going like, "We're gonna redesign it, and make it something different." Yeah. I think that's what kind of scared people. Yeah, um, that's why I think which everybody loved Link to the Past because when Link to the Past came out, it was like, "Oh, thank God, they went back to like making it the way that it needed to be." And I think right. they also even recognized like, "Holy shit, we need to give them what they want." Um, they're going to wait five years for it, but we're going to give it to them. Yeah. And I think when they did that, it was a perfect title, yeah. perfect game. Mm -hmm. You were back into doing what you knew, busting up walls and playing, the, you know. Chickens and Stabby, stabby, yeah. yeah. Cutting grass. Yeah. Nice, nice. Uh, yeah. So any retrospect for this? It sounds like this was um, maybe the first time you were like, hey, things are, when it came to the Batman, things are looking up. This was the first title I worked on where I was like, yes, I get yeah. to work on something that I know and that yeah. I like and that I want to work on, right? Uh, I was super excited about that. So I, and I got to design levels for, you know, like Gotham and Science Island and all this awesome. nerdy DC stuff. So I was very excited about that. Um, and, I, and it was, I got to work with a bunch of devs that knew how to make games. Right. Right. And they knew how to make stuff. So you're leveling up really big time being yeah. at the studio. So I learned a lot of stuff and um, the, um, actually the, 
the guy that did Shovel Knight was working there at yeah. the same time, um, Sean Velasco. And uh, there were a couple of artists that I worked with on on Batman and a couple other things that all went to go work on Shovel Knight. Mm. So I learned a lot of stuff from hanging around with those guys mm-hmm. and, and talking with those guys about things. And they were super nerds about you know all this. So that's awesome. They they would do this thing called Mega May. Like every May, they would play every Mega Man game. And oh wow! So they would to they, see who got the furthest or something. Or no, what? they would all just play it together. And uh, a big thing I actually learned from them that that to this day I've kind of taken um, is they would get the whole team around and they would play like have one person play the game and mm-hmm. then they'd all watch kind of like what are they doing right or wrong yeah and where are they struggling and that could be frustrating too though oh it's painful because you're hell. like why are you doing that yeah. just God, jump and shoot at the same time it's painful yeah but, but it's a good way to learn okay, this is something we need to work on. Yeah. Um, and so they, I, I took that. That wasn't even on the team that I was on. They didn't do that. Mm-hmm. That was another team that they were doing that. And so I was like, man, that's really that's really smart. Yeah. And so uh, a lot of the games that I worked on in the future did a lot of that stuff where we'd get everybody around, we'd play yeah. it, and you'd watch people painfully play through stuff. That and, and I think the most beneficial thing is like being there but not saying anything. Yes, because when yeah. you because when you go when you start trying to direct from the back seat of like do this dude the key is downstairs right. you walked right over it like you can't do that either it, they're just gonna yeah. push people's buttons. They also so. did a thing that was that Warner Brothers did because they were the publisher on the title. They uh, had it was it's basically a kids game because it was Batman the Brave and the Bold which was a, a animated TV show at the time. Okay, and they had a bunch of kids play the game and they would just videotape the kids. And then they would. Oh, you mean like focus testing or? Yeah. yeah. So they'd focus test and they'd have kids play through it. And they'd have, it was almost like a Twitch stream. Like you'd see in the corner the kid's face as they were playing through it. Mm-hmm. And then you'd see the whole screen of what they were playing. Mm-hmm. And so there was uh, one of the best memories that I have was these kids were, um, there's this moment where uh, one of the villains like blows up the floor beneath you and you fall down. And uh, then you kind of land and you do your thing. And the kids were playing through it and it blew up and they were going down and the kids were like, whoa, and then they like landed. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, it was, it's a co-op game. So they were both, they both did that like scream. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. Nice. Nice. It's so cool to see like these moments actually work out. That's awesome. But then you also see this stuff where you are like, Ooh, just press the switch. It's above you. Why aren't you pressing the switch? That kind of stuff. Now, did you guys not? see that when you guys played before you did the focus testing or was this a separate you guys did focus testing separately before you started doing the in-house stuff we would the in-house stuff was actually another team that was more focused on doing that i think what we did was we would other designers would play through your stuff and Mm -hmm. then you would go like you would just kind of watch them and Uh, listen to them and see what it was but it wasn't a whole team effort gotcha um, but this was done kind of after we had felt that it was in a good spot and then WB took it and then focus tested it and see how it went. And then you, they sent us the footage so that we could say like, Ooh, that test is, or that puzzle was a little too hard for this age range. Maybe we should tone it back a little bit or there was too many guys or they're not figuring out the combat things or, okay, we need to update these things. So. Gotcha. Yeah. I remember when, uh, focus testing was actually pretty big in the game industry, uh, many years ago, but they stopped it to the degree that it was at because it was so expensive. Yeah. Um, I remember going on a few, like they would rent buildings, they would get food and snacks, they would bring these kids in by the busload to play the game or teenagers. And then you would just sit behind the, the, the pane glass, the, the two-way glass or whatever they had, and you're trying to decipher, do they like it? Do they not like it? Should we just throw this game away? Uh, 
but it was it was definitely different experience seeing that than what things are now mm-hmm. like now it's like you just get a team of qa people um you do tests between each team that's worked on something right so it is a lot different more cost effective but man the um doing the focus testing the way they did it in the past was it was pretty crazy like i don't remember too many games that i've worked on that used it where it it made the outcome of the games uh be more successful no, when I think back, no. it's it's almost they, like they were just doing it because they heard this is how you do focus testing and well, they do they it for spend movies, all this money, right? They would do That's it for true. movies and things like that. But I would argue that the movies, it can kind of help. But then sometimes I think it's it's like, look, there's a vision that you have, and yeah. if you have like, look, some dudes from Idaho are saying that they didn't like this thing, and that you're changing it based off of that is kind of weird sometimes. Uh, there, we did this in um, when I was at Amazon for a bit too. They they would focus test but then they would also ask like what do you want to do more of what do you want to see more of because they're very analytics focused they mm-hmm. want to see where people want to go with things which was always kind of weird to me you know it was always kind of removing the like if, if you have a vision for a product and mm-hmm. you have a, an idea of what you think would be good or interesting it's kind of weird that somebody you just get a bunch of random strangers that are saying like this is what i want to do are they actually going to define what your target demographic wants? Do they even yeah. know what your target demographic wants? And there's, there was just kind of some weird stuff there that I wasn't a huge fan of. But, um, but where I think it was good is when they're playing through it and you're seeing how they're playing it and you're going, oh man, this puzzle's too hard, right? Where we need to pull this in. But you can get that same playtesting experience in house. You just have to be organized about who hasn't played this level before. Okay. I'm going to have you come in. I'm going to not say anything. I'm just going to sit behind you and watch and see how long it, it, it takes you to figure out this puzzle. Right. Mm-hmm. And if it's over 20 minutes, well, I failed as a designer. Yeah. Right. So I need to go back in and give you more hints and give you more things and figure out where the struggling part is. Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned, um, being able to do or having these people drive what your game is going to be, because I think, even currently now and maybe a few years ago everything that you saw on on um steam where people were commenting there were a few studios that were like oh well we're going to take these comments to heart these comments are directing the game the what you guys are saying we're actually going to change it you know there was this push of um inclusivity or i think i was saying that wrong or right i'm not sure where the fans help direct what the game is going to be mm-hmm. based on their feedback right. and then your you know your milestones are now based off of what um random people who are playing your game want right. and does that mean it's going to make it better for the whole demographic of who you're making the game for it a lot of times it doesn't but mostly it makes it where your game costs more because you're throwing everything out the window and you're saying they didn't like that build. Let's go back three builds right. and let's let's do it again. Right. And you're like, wait a minute, who's paying for all that? And then you know you can see yeah. what happens. Companies yeah. go under from that too. And it's not to say you shouldn't listen to feedback. You absolutely should. Yeah. But I, I think that there's there's a difference between because there's a there are a lot of people that will say players are really good at telling you what feels wrong, but they're not good at giving you the best solution for your problem. Right? Mm-hmm. Like there uh, it was Mark Rosewater, the lead designer of Magic: The Gathering, who was saying players are exceptional at saying this is what bothers me i don't like mm-hmm. this thing they, they have a critique everybody has a critique yeah i think players actually don't know what they want and i equate that to uh the success of a current game uh which is fortnite mm, yeah because when fortnite came out it wasn't successful yeah um but i think um applause goes to 
the marketing team that they had and whoever thought of the idea of uh, getting everybody that's on Twitch and whoever streaming to play their game and they paid those people to play that game. They saturated the market that that viewership of like this is what people are playing. You should be playing this, right. and it literally just did a whoosh, well, and maybe. everyone started playing it. And it was like, oh my god, this is crazy. Like, I think people tried to do that in the past, but it never was really as successful as this, where you have a game that came out that wasn't wasn't that successful, and then overnight it was i i believe league of legends was very similar because that wasn't successful for two years yeah when it came out um and it was one of those things where they also got it i think it was ashton kusher or someone else that was a celebrity to play it and then tweet about it mm. and then it just changed the game and it just blew up like overnight from that two years of not success to just they're still dominating the right. market and, and you know the genre they're in right now right yeah i think the the Fortnite one's interesting because they made a game that was not a battle royale, right? They made true. this game that was a fort building thing. Even. Shout out to PUBG. Shout beautiful, PUBG. beautiful game. Yeah, dude. It's fun. It was fun when it came out, it's you know. Fun. And from their success, shout out to uh, Daisy because Daisy was actually fun in its raw days of not being finished at all. And yeah. then it just went down. And so. it was the same designer that did a lot of the mods on stuff like Daisy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think uh, what they had done was they made this. Hey, we're going to make this co-op, you know, fort building game that's just waves survival. Let's just try to do the thing. And they had all these great mechanics in the game, but it just it wasn't the systems design part of it I think wasn't really resonating with a lot of people and you know, I think there was I had heard, I don't know if this is true, but there was like a producer or something that was like we should just make a battle royale and you know, these guys own the tech, right? They know right. how to make all this stuff really quickly and PUBG was made with unreal so they already had yeah I don't, i'm not sure i'm not saying they did this but they already had all those files they already had access to all the things of the submissions it the the blueprint was right there you know? yeah they i think they they kind of said like okay and what's funny is you were talking about you know people maybe not knowing exactly what they want there was a there's video i'll have to like look it up somewhere but there's a video of them announcing like, hey, we're adding a battle royale mode to Fortnite, and people were audibly like, boo. Yeah, yeah, they were like, what are you doing? Dude, like, you have no idea. It was, yeah, it was like getting booed, right? And then, surprise, it's like the biggest game that's been out in a long ass time, right? So. That's what, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think players or gamers know what they want. Like, everyone was negative on that product. Uh, when it came out, it wasn't doing well. Even the way they marketed it, they marketed it as like this goblin. These goblins are going to come mess up your fort at night, right. and you need to rebuild it or reinforce it to literally throwing all that out the window. And it's just a PvP. Yeah. And then it's a PvP with the battle royale aspect. And then they changed it a little bit to make it their own, you know, and then keep it in the the base building or the fort building. You know, just made it different enough where yeah. you know if you didn't like if you didn't like that from previous games, then hey, they have it. So yeah, so it was interesting. Uh, and I, I, you know, all this to bring it back to what we were talking about before, which is you know, focus testing and listening to players and adapting to things. And mm -hmm. um, you know, I think it's good to just even if somebody says like this thing bothers me, you should fix it this way. Maybe that's not the way to fix it, but the bothering part is very valid, right? They're saying something that is bothering them, and if you can come up with an interesting way to fix that problem, then it'll it'll take you a long way, I think, to making your game better.
Yeah, I think it's all about listening that makes it important. A lot of times people won't listen based on um, people's titles or the discipline they come from. But there are titles out there where someone was like, hey, let's make this a battle royale. And it worked. Yeah. Even though it wasn't what they were shooting for, it wasn't, I'm pretty sure, what the publisher was hoping they would make. But they made them a ton of money. So, yeah. um, you know, you can't really argue with that. Next, we have Carbine. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I think this was the longest time you've been at one studio at this point. Yes. So, what was going on here? You came in as an associate producer of design. Yes. Okay. Take us through that. Okay. How did that, how did that come to So, um, at the end of my time at Way Forward, I had finished Batman the Brave and the Bold. They laid off most of the design team mm. because. Just the design team? Well, yeah, pretty much. There oh, was, wow. There was, they just didn't have any positions open for it. Okay. And they said, we need you to take a week of furlough. And mm. I've heard that word before. And can you come back as a, an associate producer? Because we need a producer type. You're organized and you've done it before. So. And I said, mm, okay. So I, uh, I, I didn't really, um, I was kind of like, well, yeah, I could get back into the production side of things if I need to. Um, okay. And it was on a SpongeBob title for the, um, the U draw, which is the THQ like drawing thing that they had. So I wasn't, you know, mega hyped on it. I like SpongeBob, but I wasn't very, you know, yeah, SpongeBob's awesome, man. Yeah, SpongeBob. Maybe not for you draw, but yeah. It's amazing. But hey, dude, I, I do like SpongeBob a lot. It's a, it's a funny show. But it was just kind of like, eh, I don't, whatever. So I helped out prototype some games. And then I also was helping out organizing the project mm -hmm. a bit. And so um, after that, I um, I started looking elsewhere because if I was on furlough, I was on furlough during that time. And I was like, I need to look for a place that's more stable. And I, furlough, means furlough means you're not fired, yes, but you're not getting paid. Correct. And then you come back and you will get paid. Correct. And I didn't want to be in that situation where I'm like, I don't want to take a summer vacation and I get paid. Right. Uh, so I wanted to find some place that was more stable. And uh, so I started looking around. I also, I was living in Hollywood at the time, working in um, Valencia, and my wife was working in Irvine. So we were commuting from Hollywood. Wow. Opposite directions. Yeah. Right. So I was like, I need to find a place in Orange County because she's not moving out of Orange County. Our family's from Orange County. We should just go there. Smart. Um, That's a smart choice. Yeah. And so I, I said, okay, I need to start applying. And I applied at um, uh, Carbine. And luckily, the person who was doing the hiring knew somebody from Disney Interactive. Mm that I worked with. So they put in a good word for you. They put in a good word for me. That's amazing. So, um, and then the interview went pretty well. And, and so I got the job. I was really lucky. Um, guy named Eric DeMille hired me. And, uh, so I worked with him for a while and he's like, well, because you have design experience, we have, uh, our design team is getting pretty big and we need a designer producer that somebody that basically just works with designers only. And oh, so they, did they create a role for you or was this a role they were looking to fill someone that had could, do both things yeah they were looking for the role so i was mm, like oh this is perfect like i have a you know background in production and i have you know i worked in design for years so yeah this is gonna be great that's awesome um so i worked with them and when i got there it was uh disorganized um it was very um kind of wild west they had gone through multiple ips it wasn't even wildstar at the time when i got there um and so also, oh, what Wildstar became, it turned into Wildstar. The same assets were used for a different type yes. of game. Oh yeah, wow! Exactly. So, so it was, it's like Overwatch. 
Yes, kinda. exactly. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. very much like Overwatch. Okay. They were kind of like, we have all these cool assets and they look really good. We just need to make a better IP. And the, the core experience was not great. Like it mm-hmm. was just, it, it worked. The art was pretty and you could do quests and stuff, but there was nothing really that was particularly interesting about it. Hmm. Um, but, and I remember playing it and I remember thinking, well, they still have time. Um, and I didn't know that they had started basically in 2004 or five. And Mm. so it was 2009 or 10 at the time. So they had been in development a long time. So for me, that is a long time, like five years, right? Yeah. So for me, that was a little bit weird and they were still not at a point where they even had like a vertical slice that was good. So I was kind of like, Oh, this is weird. But they, uh, eventually, um, there were a few teams that had started kind of being formed and they said, okay, we're going to figure this out. And so they made this combat system that was really cool. And it was different. Yeah. It was for an MMO at the time. It was definitely different. And so we were playing it internally and we were like, man, this is really fun. Like the prototype of it was actually really good. And, uh, it was the first time I think I had played the game and gone like, this is fun. Like I'm actually having fun. Uh, like you found the fun and you're like, let's do it. Yeah. This is it guys. Well, what was crazy was they came in over the weekend and like made this. Like, oh wow. It was kind of a passion project with a couple of VFX artists an animator and some designers. And they made this combat system, you know, in a prototype form that was, you know, it showed what it was. And I was like, man, this is good. Like you guys, this is really good. Uh, and they went in there to went to the executive producer and said, you know, this is how the combat should be in this game. And he said, are you willing to bet your job on it? That it's going to be good because we have to rip out a lot of assets and we have to change a lot of things and we have to change the way that characters work and enemies work and all this stuff. And he's like, yeah. And, uh, and I agreed with him. I think it was uh, absolutely, you should risk your job on it because the other stuff was boring and it wasn't worthwhile. And, Boring as in, was it like every other type of MMO? Where every it was other like, tab targeting, you've done Get this your fishing before. rod. Yes. Go do this. Go collect 100 pelts. Yes. It was It was all very tried and true MMO kind of stuff. So they they started kind of going through the combat and fixing that. And they also kind of uprooted how they were doing some of their questing and all these different systems that kind of laid, layered on top of each other. And uh, so it was all... Uh, like it was on the up and up. It was, it was kind of moving in that direction. Um, and then there was this point, uh, I remember working on it where somebody had basically said, uh, there were, there was this process where I started thinking about like, why is it that they didn't make something for so long? Like, and stick with it. You mean at the studio or the just studio. the people in charge? Uh, like everybody, like oh, okay. why was it that they never were able to find a vertical slice? And then they finally did. And the thing that I noticed is they would, they would work on something for three months and then they would show it to the executives or the management and the management would go, it's not good enough. Do it again. And it was just like this for years. Oh, wow. So they had a whole nother umbrella of people they had to appease. And those people were the ones that was making it. Well, yeah, and and to be honest, they weren't wrong. It wasn't good, right? Right. The stuff that they were getting wasn't good, but the problem was is nobody was learning how to make it good, and so um, luckily there's these things with the combat and with these content changes that were kind of coming in where they were kind of making stuff better. But then what was happening was they were like, okay, we just got to make a lot of it, and the thing that I was noticing was like your guys' review process is just not good. 
right? Why would you wait three months to find out that something's bad? Why don't you find out if it's bad within two weeks? And then do all that work and then have people check in all this stuff and make all the changes to the engine that you're going right. to have to change. So it, what they needed to do was very early on kind of find a, a cadence by which they could say, okay, it takes us this long to stand it up ugly, right? To make it so that it's just functional, right? And so within a couple of weeks, they could get a zone or a, the, a tract, you know, for us, it was like a small area, you know, with quest hubs and, and all these things and animals that you put in and spawn and fight and go through the whole thing and quest objectives. And so if you could get that basic setup, then you could play through it. And then what I did was I thought about this, the stuff from way forward where the team would play together. So I was like, okay, well, what if we put the lead content designer in with the staff level content designers and, and the leads over those things and just play through it ugly and then take the notes. Right. And then, so I, what I would do is just take all the action items of like, okay, get all the animals off the road. Okay. Add these things. Okay. Add whatever. And so, uh, eventually we got all these notes and then you would give it back to the people that were making the content and then the content got better because they were able to react to the notes and then you would play through it again the next week and then say, okay, it's, it's like 60% better. Good. But these, that 40%, we need to, mm, we need to improve that. And so over time, those designers start to learn, oh, this is what the lead wants. This is like the kind of thing that he wants to make. Okay, cool. And so they start lear learning what's good and what's not good. And then, or at least at the very least, what, what does the guy in charge want? Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and so over time they started making that content and that review cycle made their stuff stronger. So they were able to get things and move on. And then the management would look at it and go like, Oh, okay, cool. It's, it's better. So for me, that was like a big, that was a, like one of my, you know, sort of, uh, I don't want to say crowning achievements, but it's one of the things I'm most proud of, uh, working at Wildstar was because I was able to kind of help them move forward in a way. Um, so, and it's, that's not to say like, ah, because I did that, like they were able to, to finish stuff. There was a lot of very talented and smart people that if they were not there, then the, my process wouldn't have mattered, but that's awesome. But it helped. That's awesome. Cool. So all of this went into Wildstar that you have written here. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. There was just a lot of, uh, you know, I'd worked my way up from being an associate producer to a, Regular producer. So you leveled up in this position. I did, yeah. So what would be your retrospect from this position? Yeah. And it looks like you leveled up in here, but what would be your retrospective of your takeaway of like um, what would you have done differently after after seeing – now we're – okay, let me, let me restructure this. We're already past the point for our viewers of like – you know, going through the interview, finding that that one job where they're like, "Yes, this is aligned with what my, what I think is fun," and yeah. and now you're at a position where you've been there for a good chunk of time, four years. Um, you've worked on something. You've gone through the processes at the studio. You've seen some pitfalls. You've seen um, some rebounds. What would you have done differently, looking back after the point where you mentioned? Um, what their pitfalls were, why they couldn't get a good vertical slice. What were some things that if you if you look back at it that you take away from that of going like, hmm, I need to make sure I don't allow this to happen somewhere else or if I see this, I need to speak up because that's what they were missing. They were missing mm -hmm. that voice at the time. Like what what, are, what would be some of the takeaways you, you'd have in this situation? 
So I think it's a few things. One, it is having a good review process Mm -hmm. of having the ability to look at something and understand what is not hitting the quality bar, understanding what the quality bar is so that people can hit it. And then also having a a strong vision very early on as to what those things need to be is hypercritical because if you don't have those, all three of those things, you just, you can't move forward. And that was the evidence for me. Um, but the, the thing, if I was to think about it on a more personal level, I think I also, I threw myself very hard into Wildstar. Like I was, um, I did a lot of the videos for, um, or at least I helped with some of the videos. I, it wasn't just me. There was lots of people. Right, right, right. No, I'm yeah. thinking by saying like that, this was your first time that you, you put all, you're all into it. Like you committed your time, yeah, like even outside of work. Into Definitely it. outside. Yeah, yeah. Like I would, I would be reading articles. I, I did a lot of press for them. I did a lot of uh, like community stuff with them. Did they ask you to do that? Or did, was this you taking initiative to do that because the belief was so strong of the project and the product and the people and you, you guys have found the fun and you were like, yes, I'm going all in. Yeah, it was both. I, right. I think that, um, you know, they, I would make internal videos for, for the team because the team was so huge. There would be people in other departments that are like, what, what is design doing? Right. I don't even know, you know, what's happening or it's art, you know, like I haven't seen any concept art or I haven't seen any of this. So we would make these videos. And so I'd make videos that were like funny, you know, I'd make mm-hmm. jokes and voices and weird stuff. And I'd talk about stuff and they were like, okay, like you, you seem like you can communicate with people. They're so. like, is this what y'all doing over there? What the hell's going on? Yeah. <laughs> well, they were excited about it, right? They <laughs> yeah. were like, oh, okay, cool. It's good to see all this stuff. And so eventually I just started making these videos and they were like, man, uh, uh, there, there was this other point where, um, we felt like we had a, a cool product and we felt like the marketing wasn't really hitting it. And, uh, or explaining it to people as to why the game was interesting or fun, right? And so internally, we kind of thought, you know, we should make like a video that's kind of like why this is fun or why this is interesting. And we did it from like the developer perspective, kind of the uh, behind the scenes, like, hey, we're working on a thing. It's really cool. But we wanted to have an attitude that was very like, hey, we're down to earth, normal ass people that are making funny games, we'll make jokes and stuff. And this is also why it's really cool, we'll get excited. And so um, a, an animator and a VFX artist, and um, there was a guy who worked in cinematics at the time who were putting something together and they reached out and they're like, hey dude, do you wanna be the narrator on some of these things? Do you wanna try reading for it? And I'm like, sure. So I read through and I made you know some jokes and stuff like that and they're like, oh, this is great. So. Um, we, we put a video together and we released it to the company just internally. Wait, were those those videos you, that you guys released uh, kind of showcasing characters and other movesets and things in the game? Yeah. Th- so those, these uh, were the dev speaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, right? yeah. yeah, yeah. So, That's cool. Yeah. So we did the dev speaks. And w- the first one we made, we showed it to the, the team. And there are people coming up to me that are like, dude, that was really good. Like that was really funny and uh, really informative. And it made me like the game more. And I'm like, did that did that uh, start or was that the catalyst for when you guys put out the videos for marketing? Yes, and you did it the exact kind of same way. It sounds it, like yes. In fact, the the first one that we re- the second one we released was the first one that we made. So oh, wow, those so, were done well too. Those are really polished. Yeah, like the animation they, everything was like top notch. So they we did everything internally. There were there were animated ones that were like kind of like the. Um, the Team Fortress sort of cinematics, right, um, right, right, like the meet the yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but but they were more on the Wild Star side, so they had you know our mechanics, and they were very 
they were super well done. That was all done internally. And then we also did these sort of, here's a feature, let's talk about it. And it'll be slightly sarcastic and, you know, funny and mm -hmm. informative. So, um, yeah, we did one and there are a lot of people who are like, dude, this is really good. You should make more. And so we did. Um, and that was, you know, I would work on my normal stuff during the day as a producer and then they'd be like, okay, from three to four, you're going to go in the booth and record a bunch of audio to go over what, you know, we're capturing for this thing. So we did it. And the first one that we released had like a few hundred thousand views. Oh, wow. And I was like, damn, that was, that picked up really, yeah. that's crazy. Um, and we went to a, this was before the game came out too. Yes. This was all still marketing. This, this like was like 2012, 2013, maybe okay. 2012, I think. I can't remember. It's 2012 or 2013. And so, uh, and it came out and people were like, dude, this is, this is hysterical. This is really funny stuff. This is really cool. And it was different when and, it came out. Yeah, it was very different. And so the MMO vibe. Yeah, exactly. So I think there were a lot of people that were like, oh, this is kind of cool. So it started building up more and then they were like, well, can you do some press for us? Like, can you go to Europe and talk to a bunch of press outlets in, you know, the Netherlands and France and England? And I'm like, of course I'm going to fucking go do that. Right. You know, what's awesome, awesome about that? You made that happen. You and the group you worked with. Yeah. Cause not just you. Right. But no. you guys made that happen. Yeah. That's that, awesome. That like, was really cool. That was, that's one of those things that I'm, I'm really happy to have been a part of. It was definitely like, I was not the catalyst in any way for that. That was more of like, I remember complaining one day. I'm like, ah, our, our like marketing videos are kind of like, mm. and uh, somebody else on the team who is uh, a lot more motivated than I was at the time was like, I agree, let's do a thing, right? And so we just kind of made it. And uh, from there, like a, a full on team just got established because they were like, okay, you, you guys are really good at this. Just keep going. That's so, great. Yeah, it was it was awesome. So I I think in general, um, that was the what was cool was that not only did the team as a whole recognize it but management was like yeah there's something here so just keep doing it and so then i started turning into this voice for the game in a way right where i would not only do the videos but i would do press so I would do live streams would do all this stuff um I'd go to ign and play the game with them and you know show off the game and stuff like that um but the thing that i learned out of that is a you have to have the motivation to to go like no i care about this more than just it's nine to five, like whatever, um, and have the tenacity to make it good. But the, the downside of this was if things went bad, it was my fault, right? Cause you were the face. Cause I was the face. Yeah. So I'd get this stuff on like Twitter where people are like, fix your servers. Right. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not an engineer. Right. I'm not, yeah, you got not take those things personal. Yeah. yeah. Those are, that's, <laughs> those are crazy times. Yeah. You have people commenting like that. Well, it's, you never read the comment section and exactly. I'm the type of person that does though. Yeah. So I'd read them and I'm like, oh, like I was dying inside. Cause the you early, needed an assistant <laughs> to tell you everything's good. Yeah. Don't worry about anything while they're reading them. <laughs> I would have loved that. Uh, yeah, no, cause I was slowly dying inside because I, I just had all this stuff. My wife also at the time went to school in Northern California mm. to finish her master's degree. So I'm, you know, I totally threw myself into Wildstar. I just said, okay, I'm just going to work my ass off. Oh, so you're there with free time because she was away she was gone okay, right? okay. I, had, I had nothing else to do so okay. i was just like okay i'm just gonna work my ass off i'm gonna travel all over the place i'm gonna do all this stuff uh and so the i threw myself so hard into it that i kind of was like i need a break from the internet for a while because i i was up at like two in the morning and when she moved back i was still in that mode mm. and i'm like 2 a.m on my phone responding to tweets she's like yeah. why are you responding to tweets at two in the morning go to sleep and i'm like why am i doing this this is so dumb 
why am I doing this? And, and there weren't good things. Like there were people like, I can't believe you guys did this to the, the spell slinger. You guys ruined the game. And I'm like, well, you know, I thank you for your feedback, but bleh, right. Yeah. And responding is a no, no too. Like, uh, responding to trying to respond to everything yeah. is something that you learn is like, it's not beneficial. It's let people want their outlet. Let them say what they got to say. Let them have their piece at it. Right. Because well, you may not be able to fix everything. You're definitely not going to be able to fix everything. And the, the, my perspective at the time, which in hindsight was, was wrong, was as a fan, like I, I would always like in movies, I'm a huge uh, Indiana Jones, like my favorite movie mm-hmm. of all time. Mm-hmm. Love it, Raiders the, of the Lost Ark. The series or just the first movie? The first movie. Oh, okay, great. Thanks for, cl- <laughs> thanks for clarifying. Yeah, the, the first movie is the best one. The Last Crusade's the second best, and then Temple of Doom. But uh, we don't talk about the fourth one. So I think um, I always love watching like the DVD commentary, and I love watching the behind the scenes, how they make stuff. I'm a huge nerd for how they make things. That's just my thing. Uh, and and I always hated it when I tried to reach out or talk to somebody. Like if I saw somebody famous that worked on a thing, and I'm like, man, I love this thing, and they were like, I don't have time for you. I hated it, right? Because I was like, man, I'm going out of my way to tell you I appreciate what you did and you're just treating me like an asshole so on Twitter I was trying to be like I was trying to respond and not be that guy right and in so doing I think it created this expectation that we're like oh well he's gonna respond to me right and my response rate was like super high at the cost of my sanity right so I had kind of learned over time like okay I'm not gonna respond to everybody I'm not gonna go out of my way to like respond to every even negative things I don't need to right there's just some things where maybe i can deliver a quick response but i shouldn't go out of my way to do everything so i learned not to take like all of the world's weight on your shoulders because there's a community team that's their job right that's what they're supposed to do right um so i did the upside is because i busted my ass and put everything on my shoulders i i got a lot of experience and got to do a lot of really cool things you got to be cultured a little bit more too Going out of the country, yep. out of the state yep. to go talk. Got to go do lots of things. But at the same time, I took so much that it, it kind of broke me for a little bit. I was kind of, I was super exhausted. So that's interesting that we are now at that point uh, in this conversation because that has been something that is ongoing for certain families and people in the games industry about how the work life and the family life kind of when they cross, you know, things can go kind of crazy. Um, is there anything other than what you just mentioned about like when you're up at 2am you're like why am I doing this why am I doing this is there anything that you can um, give as information to a person who may be you know five four or five six years at a studio and ultimately probably going through the same thing because staying I believe staying in a studio that long you do have to commit at some point and put your all into it what are some of the things that you would have done differently? I think your situation is unique, though, because you said your wife was away, or your fiance was away. Yeah. But what are some things that you would have done differently to like uh, mitigate your time better uh, when she was there, so that you do understand your split of like I'm not at work, I'm at home? Or do you have any information you could share on that of like for someone that's maybe going through that same thing of like? Ugh, because we all remember the EA story where EA people wives. were just, yeah. yeah, the EA wives where people were just working their butts off and 
you know, in our industry, if you're a salary, you're not getting OT. You're not getting paid extra money. It's just, well, how much passion do you have? Do you want to, do you want to come in this weekend? Uh, not particularly, but we're all coming in this weekend. So we're going to see you here. And you're like, what the fuck? Right. Yeah. So, but, um, what are some of the things that in this, uh, experience that you had here for, for carbine, since you were there for, for so long that you could take away for someone watching and going like, man, I really do need to step back and, really assess my situation and not you know do this because it's unhealthy for myself it's unhealthy for my family it's unhealthy for my children if i have them, you know yeah i didn't have kids at the time uh but i think now the way that i kind of look at things is that um i still do work my ass off and still you know try to take the the world on my shoulders but um you know i try to make it home to hang out with my kids to put them to bed i you know I wake up with them, I feed them breakfast and hang out with them as much as I can. And that, um, really the only times that I'm, I'm crushing myself with, with work is when it's closer to a deadline. And as long as we're planning well ahead, you don't have to, like we are close to a deadline now. All about time management. Yeah. It's all about figuring out, you know, when, what are we trying to deliver? Is that possible? Are we making good progress towards it? Do we either need more time? You know, is it, it's managing that stuff is, is part of it. But I, I tend to think about in the future, is it going to be worth my kids not remembering me, you know, because I was at work for 14 hours, um, you know, for five days a week, six days a week, uh, to get this title out. Right. For some people it might be, you might've gotten world of Warcraft out doing that. Right. And that's world of Warcraft. So, that's going to make you a millionaire. So maybe that's yeah, it worth it. It's one of those things where it's, if it's something that it's, it's more than just you believing in it. Yeah. It's something where the writing is there and you're like, Hey, this is going to be amazing. Right. But I, I it tend is to different. Think, yeah. I, I tend it's to different. think it's still it's not, it's still not worth crushing somebody, you know, to death. What's it's interesting not. to me though, um, is I don't think it's worth it. I think, you know, as somebody who has kids, I completely understand that when somebody's like, look, I'm going to go home and, tuck my kids into sleep and I'm not going to come back tonight. Cool. Do that. Yeah. That's uh, important. I've, I've worked with people who are like, Oh, I'm gonna go tuck my kids in and then I'm gonna be right back at the office. Like, Oh man, that's crazy. Yeah. And, and we did that on Wildstar. We had a, the Chad Moore, who's the, the, the lore guy basically at the time who turned into the game director eventually. Uh, he would do that. He would go tuck his kids in and then he'd come back and then we'd work until, you know, 12, that's whatever crazy. it is. But you know, I think that, um, it's not to say that I don't think we shouldn't crunch or work extra hours at all. I think that there are times where there's a deadline coming up. We need to make sure something's good. It's only a week. Okay. This is, we're going to really put into it. Like this sucks for this week, but you got to do it because people travel, right? They go to, you know, other parts of the world and they're there for a week and they don't see their family during that time. It's kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, now I wouldn't say like, cause we, we have not done that personally yet. We have not said to the team. Mandatory. You, you guys gotta be here. You gotta be here for 800 or you hours. you won't be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's none of that. But, yeah. but I think that there are times where, you know, you kind of say, this is the expectation we're trying to deliver. And hopefully what you have is like people that are just excited to work on the project and they're willing to just work their ass off because they're excited about it. But you're not going like you do this or like, why aren't you staying? He's staying 800 hours. Like, yeah. And that's important. I think it's, it's very important. I like it when crunch is not 
uh, a mandate or mandatory. I like it when it's organic. Mm. I stay late a lot at work because I am passionate about the things I work on. Right. But I enjoy being there with the team. I enjoy when there's a feature that's being worked on. If I can't do it myself and I know the other person that's beside me is staying late because they want to see this feature in or they're working on something else and that organic working as a team just happens because you know the next day when people come in and they play and they see what you guys just worked on that's a that's a great feeling i yeah. feel it's, it brings joy yeah um a lot of times uh with crunch though it's not like that a lot of times with crunch uh it is mandatory at times um it is all about time management and a lot of times people unfortunately need to be told when they need to stay which is something i i'm not really a fan of yeah that doesn't mean I'm not going to stay and do my regular, you know, this is how I work anyway. But it's it's important when people are good at self-time management, even though we use JIRA, we use things that, you know, people are managing our time for us. But when you can self-manage your time and know that you're not just staying late because everybody else is staying late, but you're staying late because it's a purpose. Like, it's right. important. It makes it different. I feel it makes it different. You know what's crazy to me, though? I was thinking about this the other day. That um, So Rockstar, you know, has made GTA 4 and, you know, Red Dead. And these are arguably some of the most successful games that have ever been made. Important games. Uh, games that have changed how games are made and how content is is created. Yeah. Now, here's what's crazy, though. They crunched the hell out of those people that worked on it. Right? Yeah, and the bad thing, though, is that when they do that, they know they're going to let those people go. Yeah. And but what's nuts to me is that so they crunch their ass off. There's recently stuff I've been reading about uh, Nether Realm, the guys that did Mortal Kombat, right? That they had these crazy crunch hours. That they have this sort of perspective that is very old school, which is like, nope, you can expect to be working here and working your ass off, and this is what this team does. And there are a lot of people there that were like, dude, I, it just it grown, it just grounded me into the ground, uh, drove me into the ground. And I think that. Um, What's interesting though is these games are mega successful, right? And so yeah, but they're they're successful from a player's point of view, but they're successful for the owners. Right. Those people, I think it would be different if those people are be like, oh, this is what we do here, this is what we do. If they're included in the profits, where you know, like you're a millionaire, you're a millionaire, you're a millionaire. Yeah. Everyone would have a different mindset because they'll be like. I'm going to be a millionaire in less than a year. Oh my God. Or however much time crunch is. Sure. That's going to change your perspective because the owner is going to be more of a millionaire once everyone crunches. Sure. So it, it is different. You know? Yeah. It's weird. It's, this is not side note. This is not me advocating like, no, oh, crunch works. <laughs> um, but it's what is interesting to me is you see these huge gigantic games that come out that, that players are, you know, fiending for and mm -hmm. will pay lots of money for. And the only way to get them out in this time period, apparently, is to crunch people's asses off, right? So I'm not saying that that's a good thing, but what is interesting to me is if you want them in a short amount of time, to get a, a Rockstar game out every four years or five years takes you just annihilating people just to get it done. Yeah, and it's different, too, from uh, the GTAs and the... The Red Deads because they're not just crunching a team like they have their worldwide conglomerate of the um, Take Two Interactive. Yeah, they've got different studios. You know, 
all the way across the globe, everyone is crunching. Mm -hmm. Everyone is working on the game to some aspects. Because when you watch those credits, every single person that's employed has touched the game to some degree or if, some capacity, which is crazy. It, 24 hours a day, that game is being worked on. That's true. Right? Yep, sun up, sundown. Yeah. Somewhere. Somewhere. Yeah, it's not necessarily in San Diego or in you know New England or wherever it is the, the Rockstar Studios are that are working on it. But um, that that is something I've been thinking a lot about because you have these games that are so mega popular and, and gamers love them, but it requires, according to the people that are making them, you to work your ass off in order to get them out on time. And so, it's like a sacrifice, huge sacrifice yeah. from people. So I think you'll find that there are a lot of people that don't work at those places long, right? They'll work there probably one cycle to get a game out, and then they're like, okay, I'm done. Right. Yeah, but sadly, I think it's it's something where the only reason why they're not there is because they got laid off. Like the, that's the that notorious too. thing about the Take Two uh, group is that you know you it's great to have your name on the title, but you know once it ships, you're done. Yeah. Like, and it you will be able to find work easy because you just you know the game that that so just came just out is very successful, yeah, right? Whatever. Yeah. Right, so it's like you you just put out this major successful game, but it's still a hit. It's a financial hit. It's a mental burden for you to come to come across. It's like it's insane. It, but they do it. It's a revolving door. Like as a fan, you're just like, hey, I can't wait till the next five years to get this next game. Yeah. But I even think that's gonna change because of how games are now. Like GTA Five came out, and it's not the same. It's a game changer. Once their uh, internet on the GTA Online worked. Mm -hmm. They were trying to get it working for, but it works now. Yeah, it's all just downloadable content at this point. Yeah. Like the next GTA, I know they're talking about it a little bit, but it's almost like what can you expect? Like they've just been building on five and making it fun and giving you more content. And it's like this the that's the dream. They're like, we have the engine where we want it. Now we're just gonna make content and just create money. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty nuts. But yeah, so I I think WildStar for me that was a you know, that's a big, big ass game. It took yeah. a long time with a lot of features and a lot of people and uh, a lot of people working very hard. And I think the hard, the thing that I learned after that too was, you know, I worked my ass off on that game and uh, it, it started out well. Like I think that people enjoyed the game. I think it had a 80 something Metacritic. Like it was, it was doing okay. And then, and that's hard to get that's, on Metacritic and in an MMO, which is also very hard to do. So after that, it just kind of, it slowly started just going down, not even slowly. It just kind of went down and then it's like, okay, well now we got to turn the button to go free to play and all these other things. But oh, so you were there for that. You were there for the free no, to play. I, okay. I left probably three or four months after a ship. Oh, okay. Um, okay. I was at that point. I was just, I was so exhausted from reading all the sentiment and feedback. And when you're trying to fix all these problems and at the time we didn't have a good way of getting our live content out quick enough. So we were responding to people, but it wasn't fast enough. And so I was just taking the brunt of it and I was just exhausted. So I, the, yeah. the thing for me was like, look, I just worked my ass off for four and a half years and finally I'm like, it's out. And then people are like, oh, this is broken, this is broken, ah, and they're just leaving because they can go to other things and they can go do other stuff. So for me, I was just like, I I felt very defeated at the time. I was just kind of oh, wow. like, well, cause you know, I worked my ass off and I felt at the time that I was like, okay, people just, you, it's weird if you, it's weird if you think about it, you work on something for four plus years and then someone plays it for a month and then they're like, cool, see you later, right? Yeah. 
that's pretty like I'm glad that it made him happy for that amount of time. But if you're looking at that, the rate that you're spending on that versus what you're yeah. getting out of it, it's not a lot. Well, I think the goal was, you know, it was to be played longer. Than oh, that. absolutely, yeah. But you know, a lot of times it doesn't pan out. Well, it's so. it, MMOs are hard, right? They're very difficult things to make. They're yeah. they are like making a. Uh, they're like a super project. Like if you're going to make the Sydney opera house or making the golden gate bridge, right. Yeah. Those are difficult things to do. Um, so I'm very proud that of what the work that we did on it. I think that we, it was our first MMO as a studio. So there's a lot of things to learn there and mistakes that we made. But, uh, but yeah, I, I threw myself so hard into it that when it wasn't, you know, a, a mega huge hit, I was just kind of like, I'm just so exhausted right now. So, yeah. but that's when Amazon game studios kind of, came into the picture. So it's kind of like, Oh man, Hmm. Maybe I'd want to hop in on something that's kind of early. Yeah. Speaking of Amazon. Yeah. Double Helix. Yeah. Games at Amazon. You were a producer there. I was. Yeah. So double Helix got purchased by Amazon. They turned into Amazon game studios. Mm -hmm. Um, they had in Irvine. They had multiple. I think Amazon were buying up many studios at this point, right? Yeah. They are acquiring. They acquired a few. Um, they also got some tech from the Crytek guys and turned it mm-hmm. into their own. You mean bought? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. I don't think they're giving away engines these days. <laughs> no, they're not. But yeah, nice. they paid, they paid some money for that. They made their own engine, but I, uh, yeah, I be, I became a producer for them on, mm-hmm. on new world, which was okay. a, um, wait, can you talk about that? I can talk a little bit about it. They they have the only thing they've shown is that they're in alpha right now. Is that the landmark game? No, landmark was uh, the EQ guys, which okay. was in um, SOE, okay, which okay. is now Daybreak Studios. Okay, this is um, these guys were making a survival crafting game that is kind of set in the age of exploration. So mm. think about like pilgrims and stuff. Okay, um, but it's kind of mystical version of that so there's like so like rust with magic yeah rust with magic in the colonial period yeah um so (laughs) it was a it's kind of a weird pitch but i was like okay so i'd played a few survival crafting mmos ish mmo if you want to use that term um but i wasn't like uh, all all in yet on those but i there was a couple where i'm like this is interesting but getting into that job i was like okay i should i should play some more and uh, i got more into them and, and checking them out and seeing what they kind of could be uh and so yeah getting there it was different because i think that they had these really big expectations of what they wanted to do mm-hmm. and uh and they're still kind of i think trying to deliver that right now which that was four or something years ago yeah it's pretty crazy so, they got money to burn though but it, that they doesn't do. mean you always need to burn it. They d- yeah, correct. Um, it's also that they wanted it. They were super ambitious with this. So I'm, I'm interested to see what they do with it. Um, I was only there for nine months and I got an offer from blizzard. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to blizzard cause yeah, cause it's blizzard. That's almost like what you've been working towards and what you've been working yeah, for. Right? Absolutely. I actually, a long time, like, uh, after my time in Utah, I tried to get a job at blizzard and they mm-hmm. were like, ah, you just don't have the experience yeah. yet. But what was crazy at, at at when I was at Amazon, they came to me and were like, "Hey, you have MMO experience, you know? Do you, would you want to work on World of Warcraft?" And I was like, "Hell yeah!" Went through the interview, went yeah. great. Uh, so that was that was crazy for me, just as a, a fan of Blizzard products. And at what point was the MMO? Were they already in a few expansions at that point for uh, for yeah. World of Warcraft? Yeah. For a while at that time, Warlords of Draenor was out. So okay. Okay. Warlords um, had been out, and it was a uh, six two 
was about a six one or six two um, was was when that came out, and then I got hired. Was that their entry back into like putting World of Warcraft back on on the map? So uh, yeah, it already so had a very successful run. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they already had their level cap that came out with another DLC, but then this was like. This is They're like about the to re-up one. the models, re-up the textures, re-up everything, yeah. and that's what this DLC was, right? That's that's when that happened in in Draenor, yeah. Okay. So before that, they had, you know, uh, Pandaria, and they had um, Cataclysm, and then right. Wrath of Lich King before that, and then yep. um, so they they had a bunch of that stuff. There was also, um, you know, they had been doing this since you know 2004, I think. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, they had revamped all the models. And then Legion was in development early. Um, and so, you know, they had pulled me in and said, yeah, we're working on this stuff. And, you know, would you be interested? And, and it was, to me, it was more of an exciting thing because I, you know, knew WoW and had played WoW and, and was kind of like. Oh. It was the dream. Yeah. It was like, it was what everyone, looking in the magazines, watching everything that you've seen about it. You're like, oh, my God, I'm on, I'm on WoW. Yeah, it's yeah a, it was it's really, deal. it's a big deal. It's a big and deal. it's the first game that I had worked on that, that like my parents knew what yeah. it was right yeah. like they're like world of warcraft like anybody that i talk to they know what wow is so this was the first time i'd been at like a winning studio yeah i think uh world of warcraft at that time too when they were doing that re-up they actually bought tv space and they had commercials yeah yeah which was uncommon for a lot of video games to have those type of commercials that just run through like big spots like yeah. during like events and stuff yeah. so that right there you just spiked the everyone that's a viewer is like i know what that is now like, yeah like neo i yeah. know kung fu now you know? So. <laughs> yeah they uh when they when i got hired in um they showed me what legion was kind of turning into and i'm like oh dude this is all like you get to be a demon hunter and it's all about like demons coming in i'm you know again as a huge death metal fan i'm i'm mm-hmm. into that mm-hmm. um and so the, this is more kind of continuation of burning crusade sort of stuff so i was like man this is oh, this is up my alley. You know, this is all the things that I'm super into. And they were, they, I think with Draenor, they had some stuff to prove because I think the fans were like, you guys didn't do enough for the end game for these systems. So they were very kind of, they felt like they needed to prove themselves again. And so I think the team was very hungry to do so, which Mm -hmm. was awesome. Um, And then me coming in with my experience on Wildstar and working with the, the teams that I did on WoW, I just like... I plopped right in. Like there was no, I felt like there was no ramp up time. It was just, I was in and working with the team really well, really fast. Um, Cause I was so used to MMOs that it was like, Oh, have you guys done this? No, that's interesting. Like, and I was seeing, I'm like, Oh, I recognize this problem. I see these things. I know what you're talking about here. Like it, it wasn't hard for me to get in there and, and do fine. Um, and it, uh, as far as stress goes, it wasn't super stressful. The, I think the thing that was stressful was just maintaining high quality like that was the stress and and for me the thing that i was learning was like oh this is what a a team that when you have everybody firing on all cylinders and you don't have anybody that's like dead weight or anything like that it was like wow this is it's like hit after hit after hit after hit like we're knocking out the park type of thing right yeah and so i worked on the dungeons and raids and um trade skills and uh, a whole bunch of other stuff and a mobile companion app that came out with it and the mobile companion app had to be launched simultaneously. So from its inception, which is where I kind of came on to shipping it, we needed to make sure that it was localized in 13 languages and that it was working across 
tons of Android devices and tons of iPhone devices and that it worked with your account. You could log in, do the whole thing. Um, and we did it. We launched it. It was launched within like a couple of days of World of Warcraft Legion coming out. Um, so that experience, what was crazy to me is like it came out and the reviews at the very beginning were, were good. Um, and, and I was kind of like, yeah, this is like, this is what it's like to release a like multi-million selling product. This is awesome. And then the executive producer at the time was like, so I've noticed that this is fucked up in the thing that you're working on. This is not working right. This is what's happening here. You know, what are you going to do about it? Oh shit moment. Yeah. And for me, I was kind of like, yeah, you're right. I got to get back to it. Right. And I, and it wasn't even like I was like kicking my feet up or going like, well, what do we, how do we celebrate boys? It was, it was just kind of like, Hey man, we, we did a big thing. And he was very like, this is what we do all the time. This isn't new, right? We, we have to maintain the quality, right? Yeah. And that was a good lesson for me. I think the thing, what it was funny when I was leaving, I was telling him about that and he had kind of said, well, He's like, I actually wish leaving I, as in leaving the studio or leaving. What do you mean? Leaving Blizzard. Oh, okay. Because uh, I said, yeah, I'm gonna go do this thing. You know, I'm gonna, uh, I've got a really big opportunity. And he said, no, I understand. And and I told him that story, and he said, you know, I wish actually we celebrated you guys a little bit more because you guys did do something that was really hard to do, which is you know, sim launch something and have it work and have it be something that fans enjoy and and that it helped out the experience. Yeah, and you guys updated a ton of stuff to make the quality bar even higher. Right. So he had kind of said, you know, we probably should have celebrated you guys a little bit more, but I, I still stand by the fact that it, it is a good lesson for me, you know, as somebody who's not like, well, it was good enough. I, uh, I'm going to go right off in the sunset. It's not good enough. It's a live product. You need to continue to make it good and make it better so that people don't leave. So that's awesome. Yeah. You were yeah. there for uh, two years. Yep. Design producer and then senior producer. Yes. Um, yeah. what, what changed within those roles you did the design you went from you know your previous doing producer you went back into de design producing yeah what changed from being a design producer to a senior producer or was it doing more of the same thing but just more responsibilities yeah, it's pretty much that it was oh, just hi. like i just got more stuff to do and oh, um i also helped launch uh 7.1 which was one of the the big patches and we did it within a certain amount of time okay that was i think we also got that out by the time that we said that we would get it out and fans were like I'm not even done with the current content yeah. and you're giving us more. This That's is good awesome. Though, yes. And MMOs content consumption is very fast. Yeah. And so there, there was a lot of people that were like, you guys are firing on all cylinders. And so for me, that was another big win. I felt like, cause I was, I was the main producer on that mm -hmm. and got it out on time. Good level of quality. And, uh, in general, I think people were, were happy with it. My boss basically had said like, you know, well done. Uh, you know, that was a lot of hard work and you were doing your normal job plus getting all that stuff done. So he was like, yeah, I think you're ready for senior. So I basically nice. worked on that stuff. And, um, and it's always yeah. best when someone comes to you and says, you're ready to do this now, as yeah. opposed to you asking for it and it being like, Oh, why am I not doing this yet? Well, and you, you know, know, I think I helped kind of frame that a bit. Like I was like, Hey, what do I need to do to do the next thing? You know, like what's the, so I think that he kind of saw that it was that things were happening and that I was helping getting stuff. You done. were executing. Yeah. I mean, even though you planted the seed, you still had to execute. It's different from asking for it because you know you can do it. You kind of had to prove it and show that you yes. really wanted it. So. Yeah. And you had the opportunity to show that you wanted it. 
Right. You know, so that's that's and, a big deal. So yeah, I think and that was really cool on them to to recognize that you know I was working hard and that they uh, you know basically rewarded me for it. So that was great. So that's awesome. Uh, um, but it was cool. And then uh, just that team in general, like I had no complaints. I wasn't really stressed. That's uh, awesome. Like I enjoyed my time there. Yeah, like you said, when you're working with a, a group of pros, that's how it's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, so now we are at our current current studio yeah nexon oc yeah currently one year nine months going close to two years i know there's not much you can talk about on this project no but if we now take a step back and look at everything we discussed what would be some of the things you would say to the entrepreneur the enthusiast the student uh, the person looking to change careers what would be your 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 message to them about this industry and what it is you need to, to do and stay focused on to achieve your goals. So I'd say, uh, again, it is about persistence and continually doing things. And, um, that's a big part of it. Starting at the bottom, working your way up. I think, uh, also studying what other people do in the position that you're doing and understanding everything about it try to meet people that do that stuff and talk with them as much as possible. I think I, I did a podcast for a while where I just talked to other game devs because I was interested in how they did stuff. Right. It was, it was less about me actually making a podcast for everybody. It was more me having an excuse to talk to other people about how they made games. So, uh, that was really cool cause I could talk with people about what they did, what their process was and, and learn from it. So, if you can find people and talk to them, go to conventions, go to GDC, go to a bunch of stuff, make friends with people, talk with them. They can usually help you out and point you in good directions or at least give you an idea of what it takes to get in or avenues to do it. Um, also, don't be a dick. It's like a, a thing I've learned. Uh, if you work hard and don't be a dick, you'll you'll make it eventually. You just have to stick with it. Yeah, it's very important. There's a lot of people who it's different than having a chip on your shoulder. I think they have a sense of entitlement for some reason um, from the people I met who were pretty much dicks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, which makes it which makes it weird. It makes it difficult to do your job, it makes it difficult to go to work. So, yeah, that is a good message to not to not be that way. Always be humble. There's always things to learn, you yeah. know. So but, yeah, no, this is this is from you. So yeah, I no, I, <laughs> I it is. Uh, there's a, a good example, a, a guy I worked with at sensory sweep studios. Uh, he and I just butted heads constantly. And he also butted heads with a lot of other people. Mm -hmm. He was very opinionated. Uh, it was, he was just, his socially did not work well with people. Um, very technical, but he butted heads with so many people that nobody wanted to work with him. His resume came across my desk at carbine and I was like, uh, and I walked into, you're like, I remember that guy. Mm -mm -mm. Yeah, exactly. I, I went into the design director's office and I slammed down his resume and I'm like, we are not hiring this guy. I, I know it's not my decision to make, but I'm telling you, you're not hiring this guy. That's when your words have weight. When you're, when you're doing well yourself and something like that comes along, people do listen. Yeah. And so he was like, oh no, no, yeah, that, I, I hear you loud and clear. And so imagine if that guy was not a dick. Right. I might've been like, absolutely talk with this guy. He's yep. awesome. Right. He might've been working there. Right. But, uh, because he was an a-hole and his resume came across my desk then, 
And the same goes for me. If I have been an a-hole to somebody and I apply somewhere, I know I'm not going to get that job. Yeah. People harbor, people harbor that. And a lot of, I think the misuse of that is when it's something that you either had no control over or you really weren't being an asshole to that person per se, there may have been a situation within the work environment where your opinion was different than their opinion and it was looked at as that as opposed sure. to you being an active asshole to right. someone because there's people who actively go around and yes. they just mistreat each other there's they you know they think the you know the work environment is like being on reddit it's not the same thing in real yes. life it's you can't treat people it's the way, way to, you do online it's a good way to put it yeah, yeah it's crazy so i want to say thank you very much i think this was very informative this was the first interview um i appreciate you being here i appreciate you sharing your story i appreciate you uh going out of your way at this time of the hour to um help others to guide others and to make sure people have a better understanding because things are still so taboo in this industry um there's not a lot of people that go out of their way to show what the work is what type of things we do the type of things we have to endure for our happiness and for being successful in this industry. A lot of times people only see the people who are making millions and millions of dollars, the people who aren't doing the work, the people who um, are just a face at certain moments. So it is good that you have taken your time and I appreciate it. Um, But it's awesome, man. Thank you very much. Yeah, dude. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming down and listening to me for hours. So I appreciate it. No problem. No problem. All right. Hope you guys learned something new. We will have uh, another interview soon. Thank you very much. Awesome.